All right, folks, welcome back to Revenge of the Drive-In. We've had a couple weeks off, but we are back with a vengeance. We are, of course, brought to you by the Grandma Sophia's Podcast Network, something that I just realized now doesn't really work after we said we're back with a vengeance, but whatever. I am your host, Patrick, and I am joined here by... Do I say my name? I was expecting you to. Okay, my name is uh, Feck. You have guested on this show before. Twice, right? Yeah, you did uh, Body Double and Ghoulies. Returning fans of the show may know you as North America's biggest Ghoulie fan. That's right. That's exactly right. What was the other one you were on? Oh, Grizzly and Vice Academy, of course. Weird, weird episodes. Well, first off, Face Off and The Blair Witch Project. Not as weird in terms of both movies. Neither of them are obscure. It's it's a weird pairing, though. It is a weird pairing. I guess we'll get into that later. But they're both blockbusters, and it's interesting. Face Off, kind of a traditional blockbuster, and The Blair Witch Project, very, very non-conforming blockbuster. And both 90s. Yes, yeah, within two years. 97 is Face Off, and 99 is The Blair Witch Project. So that, you know, in that basis, it makes sense. I'm just going to start off right off the bat saying both of these movies are great. I think I had only seen Face Off once before, but I remembered loving it. And seeing it again, definitely still really enjoy it. And Blair Witch Project, I swear, it gets better every time I see it. It really is just a it's one master of those. class in found footage horror filmmaking. The first time I saw Face Off, I saw my mom the next day, and she said, uh, I said something like, I was watching Face Off last night with my friends, and she was like, oh yeah, I liked that. It's a little far-fetched, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. It's like, oh yeah, it's a little far-fetched. Just a little bit. Well, that's kind of the weird thing with Face Off, is that it's a sci-fi movie, but it's only sci-fi in, like, two components. It's yeah. very strange, and apparently, I was I was reading a little bit about this. It sounds like the script had changed quite a bit at some point, maybe more than one point, but at one point, it was going to be set in the future, <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. It makes a lot more sense. And then they just got rid of that, but they kept the sci-fi elements it does have, which is kind of weird, but... I don't know. It sounds like how they're trying to do Face Off 2, and they keep rewriting the script for it. Okay, yeah. I I heard something about Face Off 2 at some point. Do you have any details? Does anyone have any details? Because I don't know how that works. So apparently they wrote a script that was just like a reboot with completely different characters, but it was like the same idea. But then after Pig and now the unbearable weight of massive talent. Yeah, Cage is hot. Right. So Cage is hot. So the guy who's writing it said they completely rewrote the script to make it a direct sequel to the original. Which still doesn't make sense. No, I think that's crazy. Spoilers. You can't have both cage and travolta back in the next movie i like it doesn't make any sense but whatever when i heard this initially i said the same thing but i was rewatching it with this in mind and i don't know it could they could maybe make it work okay like face off already doesn't make sense right yeah they they could write it in like a fast and furious type way like of just whatever he just didn't die okay he was he actually went into a coma or something like that okay uh, well, Spoiler, anyways, I guess, but you know. Well, you didn't say who is the he, though. Um, yeah, you're, so, right, you're so right, you're right, you're right. And it gets confusing once you watch the movie, of course, too, as to who is it's the true. he. But face off. For years, I've, I've been watching him 
tracking him, studying his every every move. I know his every every mannerism, facial tick, gesture. I know him better than he knows himself. And now, after all this time, I finally figured out a way to trap him. I will become him. 1997, directed by action filmmaker extraordinaire John Woo, Hong Kong filmmaker. I don't think he's making American films anymore. And, you know, I don't think I've seen the earlier films he did, the earlier American films he did before this. Right. But I saw Mission Impossible 2 when I was a kid, and... I'm going to say I think that might be a good thing, him not making American movies. I mean, again, uh, the caveat here being I love Face Off. I do. His right. style is far more suited to Hong Kong cinema. and I, but, I, but I also think in the 90s, that was like a breath of fresh air for American action movies. Yeah. With greater vis- visibility for a lot of foreign films and stuff. Action filmmakers, you know, think of like the John Wick series. They're they're borrowing right. a little bit from like the Raid and and you know old that one scene in Old Boy and it's like it's a lot of Asian influence. In the nineties, that was a pretty new thing. This predates the Matrix because the Matrix also is another Asian influenced big budget blockbuster action movie. And also ninety nine, like Blair Witch. Ninety seven. You know, we just talked about how Nick Cage is hot now with yeah. uh, Mandy, you mentioned Pig. A lot of these movies n- that maybe aren't necessarily big, but they're critically acclaimed. Right. And and they're the ones that are billed as like more serious and mature. Yes, not, not your typical Nicolas Cage kind right. of thing necessarily. But 1997, Nick Cage had never been bigger. Right. Wins the Academy Award in 95 or 96 for Leaving Las Vegas. Right. Then he's got Con Air. Con Air came out the same month as Face Off. I think it came out like two weeks before That's or something. That's crazy. I didn't know that. And, and so Con Air was a big movie. Right. This is a big movie. Is he in The Rock? Because I get The Rock and Con Air mixed up. He's definitely, I mean, he's the main character in Con Air. I, yeah. I don't remember him in The Rock, but I don't really remember The Rock that well. So If he is in The Rock, that came out in 96, the year before this, so... Right. I, he, he was on a hot streak. He was on a tear. I think anyone talking about prime Nick Cage or any good Nicolas Cage movie really has to start off by saying it's it's 2022. And unfortunately, we still have to explain to people that Nicolas Cage is a good actor. Like, that's something that hasn't gotten through to a lot of people still. It's it's because it became like a meme. To yes, like, exactly. like just his facial expressions. And then it's like... Now all of a sudden the like expressionism became like it's all a joke and it's actually like really cheesy and bad, but it's not. And you, you throw know. in all the bullshit movies, quite frankly. That yeah, he all made the dollar because, store you know. movies. I mean, people view the fact that he does those as a reason why he's a bad actor. Like he can't get big movies or something when he can. And in actuality, I, I think I've heard he's just like constantly in debt, so he'll just do any movie. That's, that's exactly what. It yeah, is. <laughs> which is which is amazing in and of itself. But but yeah, yes. you know the. All those Willy's Wonderlands and the, you know, those, uh, ironically, the movies that John Travolta is in, those kinds of movies, uh, right. the, the Liam Neeson movies, like, the, those are kind of all shitty. But, no, Nicolas Cage is really talented. Right. He, need, he needs the right material, which, that's true of most actors. I, I, you know, how many right. actors out there are good no matter what they're in? I, you know, it's... Brad Dourif. 
Brad Dourif is not a bad example. I would say like just, Meryl Streep or someone. Right but then again, you don't. Head. I don't know why that's the first thing that came to well, my head. Well, he's Brad Dourif's talented. Yeah. Just because um, I watch I watch Critters Four, which is not a good movie, but I'm captivated. Well, a- anyways, face off to start off the movie. Opening scene is amazing. It's right. John Travolta playing with his kid on a carousel, and Nicolas Cage <laughs> sporting an excellent mustache snipes him, shoots through his like shoulder blade, and the the bullet continues and hits his five year old son. <laughs> John Travolta survives, but his right. son dies. So like right off the bat, it's like, ooh, this is this is something. Yeah, that that opening scene is. I don't know. I don't want to say it's funny because it's really tragic, but it's it's, it's very it's melodramatic. Really yeah, it's, it's very it's, that kind of makes it funny. And this is right. You know, I I I don't claim to be a John Woo expert by any means. I, and I did mention some of his other American films, but we should point out, obviously, Hong Kong filmmaker. A lot of people say Hard Boiled is one of the greatest action movies ever that came out in 92. Right. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I would also throw more love to The Killer, 1989. I think that movie is mm-hmm. amazing. I, I prefer that even to Hard Boiled. But his... Asian films, they a lot of them fall under the genre of heroic bloodshed, right? Which is this, you know, gun fu. The heroic bloodshed. It's a lot of it's a lot of Hong Kong gangsters. It's a lot of shooting. It's a lot of really, really over dramatic stuff. Maybe or maybe over dramatic is too harsh a word, but just very, very high stakes right. drama. The drama, I think, kind of might clash a bit with the action you might say yeah i mean i think this scene i think i think what's funny about it is that the rest of the movie even like the over dramatic parts feel like kind of tongue-in-cheek or like it's yeah. so silly like you're not supposed to take serious but this one scene feels really like serious and i think that's it's just funny because it's just like it's it's really melodramatic but i, I love well, it and, and we haven't really established these characters yet and especially once we establish the characters and more than the characters the performances right once we have those kind of traits those personality quirks set up then like nothing is serious but right it's because this is this is the ultimate stroke of genius of this film pairing the two i would argue greatest over actors in the history of film against yeah. each other it's amazing and you know you know we, we said earlier like we unfortunately we have to remind people that nicholas cage is actually a good actor he's actually talented one of the reasons people say he isn't is because he is an overactor but right overacting isn't always bad there's a time and a place for it yeah i, I think the, the the example i always go to and this is i don't think ever come up in this podcast but Dennis Hopper and Blue Velvet. Right. That's one of the greatest cases of overacting. Yeah. So Nicolas Cage, you know, can do that kind of thing. And then Travolta, too. I think Travolta could act at one point. I don't think he can. I, I'm not using a present tense with that. But right. he's given good performances before. Sure. And, of course, here, John Travolta plays Sean Archer. We we pick back up after his son has been killed six years later. Sean Archer is, of course, an FBI agent. He is the good guy. He's. We find out later he's had family issues. He and his wife aren't necessarily on great terms. He also has a teenage daughter that doesn't really respect him. Then we have Nicolas Cage playing Caster Troy. Great name. 
from Greco-Roman mythology because yes. his brother is also named Pollux. Pollux, right. They're half-twins in mythology because they have different fathers, but they are considered twins. But they would they are half-twins. I don't know if they... Maybe they're half-twins <laughs> in this movie, too, for all we know. Brother is, of course, played by Liam Gallagher of the band Oasis. <laughs> right. Yes, that's right. Doesn't he look exactly like him? I thought he kind of looked like John Cusack. Yeah, well, anyways, it's Alessandro Nivola. Remind me, by the way. I have another point to make about Liam Gallagher. We'll get to it at the end. Uh-oh. Please remind me because I have a feeling I'll forget about that because I don't have it in my notes. But okay. Alessandro Nivola is apparently the dude that played, I think his name was Billy in Jurassic Park 3. Right. Yeah, that's what I recognize. The worst from. character in the entire Jurassic <laughs> franchise, arguably, in, in yeah. one of the worst films I've ever seen. I hate Jurassic Park 3 with a passion. Anyways, we meet back up with Caster Troy, who has planted a bomb at what we later learn is the Los Angeles Convention Center, and he's going around. He's in a like a priest outfit. Yeah, he's singing along to the to the this like religious choir that's there. He's overacting. He is chewing this right. scenery. He is, and I mean, he's. I don't know. It's, Are... This is amazing. This is this yeah. I, when I first saw this movie, I was like watching this scene. And I'm like, oh, I am so on. I'm board. in. Yeah, right. I, this is this is just amazing stuff. And then he goes behind one of the singers, and 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 he's like he's like squeezing her ass and doing all these like he does the face. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, he does that. Ugh. He does like a cum I mean, face. It's it's incredible. Like, this I know is... I know this is like borderline the first scene of the movie, but this might be the best scene of the movie. I think I agree. I, like it's I mean it the action you. scenes are very good, but this oh, is... they're all, the whole movie's. I'm, but this scene yeah. is just so. It hooks you in, and it's like you—you you just know that there's no like like there's no rules. I feel like I just felt like that when I was watching this. Like, oh, this movie seemed really self-serious when it started, and I was wondering yes. how it was going to go. And then I see this scene, and I'm like, this could go anywhere. Yeah, Cage is Cage is truly unleashed, and he's yes. unleashed immediately, which is, immediately. is a real great thing. And and it actually I think works to his favor later when he plays it more subtle i think because right. we get that contrast yeah that's the kind of cool thing eventually like, it's travolta yeah. who gets unleashed that's what i like i don't think it's as good as cage unleashed but it's fun i just think it's cool that like you i kind of i came in to see cage unleashed yeah and I then, th- well, I th- like, cage is the more entertaining right but travolta two, he, he commands it travolta does it Okay, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get to that, but... Right. So, Sean Archer has been going after Caster Troy since his son's... And probably since even before his son was killed. They finally get a tip that the Troys have hired a private plane. So, mm-hmm. the plane is about to take off, and everyone, all these FBI vehicles show up to try to keep the plane from going off. There is an undercover FBI agent aboard the plane who Castor Troy kills. After he says that he wants to eat her peach. Well, and there's there's a lot of tongue stuff, too. There's he's some tongue stuff his, as well. He's obsessed with his tongue, yes. Yeah, people sucking his tongue specifically. Yes, that's brought up a few times in the film. <laughs> but So there, a shootout ensues while the plane's trying to take off. At some point, Archer Travolta gets from a car to a helicopter, and the helicopter basically causes the plane to crash the helicopter is like on top of the plane but the plane before it can take off ends up crashing and then there's more of a shootout with the two troy brothers both jumping out of the plane in the classic 
if John Woo is known for two things, it's people jumping in the air and shooting, like like <laughs> yeah, diving yeah. through the air, not like leaping upward, but like the horizontal, and then also doves. It takes us a long time to get the doves, but we do get them. <laughs> so this shootout continues. Some cops are killed. One cop's ear is blown off, which is pretty cool. That was cool. I agree. Then Pollux Troy is arrested, and it's Caster Troy versus Sean Archer. A, a third act feeling showdown. right off the bat, yeah. Right in the beginning. You're not having any fun, are you, Sean? Try terrorism for hire. We'll blow some stuff up. It's more fun. And this is this is a fun fight. Yes. Then Nicolas Cage gets blown into a gate from a <laughs> from a plane <laughs> engine and, and, and <laughs> gets put in a coma. But this is a fun action scene. You yeah, know, that I'm was that was a great part. A bit. The shot of him flying back into that great incredible archer thinks things are done he thinks things can finally go back to normal between him and his wife eve played by joan allen Mm -hmm. the the bureau at his home office this is la by the way is uh they give him like a bottle of champagne they're like ready to celebrate but he stops them he's like no there's there's nothing to celebrate We're, we're you know we have to honor the dead you know all the cops that were killed you know so it's like okay this guy is the ultimate boy scout here really i mean there is it's it's obviously personal between him and caster troy but it's also about honor it's about like good and evil to him then the film changes genres because this is our sci-fi portion of the film right well i I know i mentioned that caster troy mentioned the daughter did i also i i can't remember if i also mentioned that he mentioned that there was like a bomb or something. He, he uses kind of coded language, but he hints at something going down in a few days. Yeah, he says he's gonna like, he's gonna cause a apocalypse in L.A. or something. He says in he hell uses a. Some kind of- he says hell a. I believe. Then uh, the other people at the FBI find that there is indeed a credible threat. Right. Seemingly, the only one who can help get rid of this bomb is, of course, Pollux Troy, Liam Gallagher who is in prison, but of course he's not going to talk. I mean, I, I know he's not a Gallagher brother, but this is a far healthier brother, you know, sibling relationship than Liam Gallagher actually has in real life. Yeah, so well, this is definitely. Some, some wish fulfillment if, if Liam Gallagher actually were in this film. But I mean, I really think that's the whole point of uh, the character. There's nothing at all that Caster Troy would have to live for. or do. Like, you know, he's just like, that's his honor. You know, he doesn't have honor on anything else. Yeah, Caster Troy doesn't have a code. Right. Sean Archer has a code, and he also has the personal vendetta. And Archer, those, or not Archers, I'm getting them mixed up, but that's going to make sense soon enough. Right, but right. The uh, Caster Troy, his, if there is a code, it's it's just really the, the brother relationship, which right. eventually becomes the vendetta as well. But Pollux Troy is not going to talk. But it turns out that Caster Troy isn't actually dead. He's in a coma. And <laughs> Dr. Colmfior has a plan to take off Nicolas Cage's face, put it on, well, also take off John Travolta's face, right. and then replace John Travolta's face with Nicolas Cage's. I Like, you know that that's what the movie's about, or, I mean, yeah. most people do, but, like, watching this movie, knowing that, it still takes you off guard a little bit when it's introduced. Like when they suggest it to John Travolta, it's kind of like, it's crazy. (laughs) It's like, okay, I I forgot that that's exactly what this movie is. It's weird. But I will also go back to that 
action scene on on the airstrip. Yeah. The, the, the stylized action with the jumping through the air and stuff kind of prepares you for something like this, I think, in a way. I agree, but it also just feels like, again, I'm like referencing Fast and Furious because the action, like it, it, it feels like that in that there's all these crazy action scenes that obviously defy logic, make no sense, but I still feel like if something like this were introduced into the Fast and Furious franchise, people would be like, okay, maybe that's a little too far. Okay, sure. Like, you, you know, know they've, I mean? haven't they talked about, like, somewhat jokingly, somewhat not jokingly about doing, like, a Fast and Furious in space or something? Uh, and maybe that's full-on jumping you. the shark. Did I they got, do it? I got news for you. They went they to space it? in F9. And you know what? Well, I guess Elon Musk's been to space. Everybody <laughs> goes to that's space That's the thing. Nowadays. Like, it's, it Jason's been you know, there. But, like, that doesn't, like, that defies logic, but it can happen. You know what I mean? Like, the face-off sure. thing is just so like futuristic sci-fi that it would be crazy well the imdb trivia will for, for face off will remind you that hey face transplants have actually happened. <laughs> it, i mean it's not even just the idea of someone putting a face on another face it's the switching of the faces it, it's the whole body and it's the fact that the they're voice. able to like get rid of the any markings to indicate that it's happened yeah you know, everything about it. it it's, it's, well, I, I was just know. going to say that the IMDb trivia for Face Off did say that the first successful face transplant did indeed happen. I don't know what year it happened, but because they were desperately trying to tie it into the movie, they said <laughs> the injury that caused this person's face to be disfigured happened the year that this film came out. It's like, okay, come on. That's not related. There's, <laughs> there's no correlation whatsoever. Right. <laughs> and I mean, it's like, I believe that you could put a face on another person. It, it's just like, really, the scene that gets me is when they show the ear, like, being 3D printed. Yeah, almost. that's they predicted 3D printing, basically. Yeah. That's kind of neat. And that, like, plays into the whole thing. Like, you can't have this face transplant without the 3D printing technology that they're utilizing. Okay, so, Sean Archer essentially becomes Caster Troy. They do a little thing where he's got the voice... That they, they mentioned, like, if he scratches his throat or if something happens, like, it would probably go back to his, his own voice. But he does, you know, the first couple lines he has, it's Travolta's voice. But eventually they, right. they like, test it out a bit and, and make sure that it's calibrated perfectly to be Nicolas Cage's voice. So from here on, when I say Archer, when I say Sean, when I say Sean Archer, it is Nicolas Cage. Right. Okay? This is, this is important. So the plan is he goes into the prison that Pollock's Troy is being held at. And he's going to, he's, they said he's got, it's six days before the bomb goes off, but he's got two days to get the information and then he'll be picked up. And, and only a few people know about this. Yeah. His family doesn't know. That's the downfall of this whole plan. Uh, I mean, that would, that will become the downfall of this whole plan too. But also that's just when I was watching it, like, why would you not tell anyone about this? Like, I know it's crazy, but... I can sort of understand the family not knowing. Well, no, how does, like, yeah, normal undercover police officers? It seems like work? just five people knew or something like that. I think like, it seemed, like a small I think four, team. because I think right. when Nicolas Cage burns those guys, I think it's four people, but yeah. Yeah, so I was like, that was the that's the real blunder. But you would think that they would have anything in place for him to prove that he is who he says he is. Sure. In the case, sure. in the event that something goes wrong and he can't get back in his own body or face or whatever. Yeah, for even even for the prison guards. Right. 
Yeah, that's the thing. Because, yeah, he could very well go to this prison and it could be extremely corrupt and they could just kick his ass because he's Castor Troy or just want to kill him or make, you know, like like things happen sometimes where like maybe they want to make it look like suicide or something like that happened. You know, you would think like this is Epstein. one of the big. Exactly. But you think, I think like this is a huge terrorist guy. You know, he's obviously got a reputation. Do you really want to go into a prison with a like that kind of reputation following you, without anyone in on it? Call it a plot hole if you want. I don't, I don't want to call it a plot hole. Cause no, yeah, it's, I, it's I don't not, either. But... I because it 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 pays off in within the movie and right. You know, it, it's it's so it's not like it's completely ignored, but like you can kind of just tell where the story's going a little bit. Right. But he's in prison. He immediately gets in a prison fight, and this is a a neat. Well, I guess Great first scene. off. The prison is a sci-fi prison. It is. <laughs> the floors, this is the only other sci-fi element of the film. The floors are magnetized, and all the prisoners have to wear these big old boots, which, if, if anything ever happens, they can just lock the pr- prisoners in place, which is pretty neat. And I do like the acting, even by all the extras, how they're like walking around as if they're kind of sticking right. to, the, to the floor. It's pretty good. but And it's like, I guess that could happen. You know, like, that's within the realm of possibility. But he immediately gets in a big prison fight, and this is a neat scene because we see Sean Archer, again, ultimate Boy Scout, basically having to become Caster Troy in this scene. And Cage plays perfectly as this guy that's kind of timid, a little unsure of himself, but then realizes he has to kind of force himself to get crazy he has to force himself to go full nick cage and he does and he almost kills a guy i think it's really great when he's like crying but then also yelling like woo like while he's crying oh it's it's wonderful it's It's wonderful after that whole ordeal is sorted then he speaks with pollux troy like some he he like tests him he asks him a question and that was a little weird to me it's like just is Pollux Troy aware that they can do this kind of surgery yeah I I thought the same thing I was like why is he skeptical like the, like if you look at him there's like I said absolutely zero indication that anything happened at all like there's no you know they they do mention that the only thing that's different is the blood types but. That's, right. you know, obviously Pollux Troy's not going to know that. Right. But the, but that's good because that pays off later, too, the it, blood it, types, too. Exactly. So. But, yes, yeah, so I did think it was weird that he questioned him like Yeah, that, he was but... asking him about, like, what medication do I take or something. But, <laughs> again, Sean Archer, knowing Caster Troy and the Troys as well as he does, knows. But then, then he talks to him. He's like, oh, my memory's all fuzzy. It's just, you know, it, 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 implying that he had been beaten to shit and stuff. And he's like, I can't remember. Where's the bomb or something? <laughs> like, he yeah. doesn't come out quite that straight. But he learns that the bomb is at the Los Angeles Convention Center. Right. Meanwhile, Nicolas Cage, Caster Troy without a face, has woken up from his coma he immediately gets his gang to kidnap the doctor, come over, perform the same procedure, giving him John Travolta's face, and then yeah. he torches the evidence. He burns the entire clinic down with, again, the three, four, five people in there that know. Clearly, like, this movie was built on just the idea of what if these two people switched faces yes. and bodies. It's funny to see it, like, happen. 
like because they they really do yeah you have to to make that literal at a certain point right Right. yeah it's a great concept this is a high concept film and and it's because it's already so ridiculous when john travolta does it and then it's even more ridiculous when nick cage with no face kidnaps the doctor and makes him do it (laughs) to him yeah so now from now on when I say Troy, it's going to be John Travolta, just to just to clarify for all you listeners at home who might be confused. Archer, at prison, is told that he has a visitor, and of course, it is John Travolta. It's immediate. It's literally, like, we see the, the thing happening, too. Like, we, we, we see the doctor come in and start to do the surgery, and then the scene ends, and the very next... Five seconds later. Yes, yeah. like it's it's him showing. Well, up. actually, at that point, we don't we haven't even seen that the place has been torched down because I think no, he, we didn't see that he, even. Yeah, he brings the newspaper and he's like, "Don't you read the paper?" and and it says like the institute burned down, you know, four dead or whatever. This scene is incredible. This is the first time the two of them are acting as each other. We we get to see Travolta really unleashed here, doing a full Nick Cage. It's not as good as Nick Cage doing a full Nick Cage, but it's very fun in its own right. And I actually, I found it funny in a way that, I mean, we said earlier, Nick Cage being Nick Cage is funny. This is funny in a different way. It's just, it's just like a different kind of, it it doesn't quite have the same feel as Nick Cage, but it's, it's still fun. Like when he does, he does the, you good looking like yeah, it's yeah, yeah. really funny it's just it's, good it's, watching him like try to channel nick hitch and like a, even subtly like when he talks just in a lower voice he gives the little like twang that nick cage does yeah and, and, yeah. I, and I, I like that about i think he uh he definitely went out of his way to try to channel nick cage and and i think that's just fun you good looking you're hot It's like looking in a mirror, only not. I didn't want to bring this up, but I'm just thinking about it now. What happened to John Travolta's face? It doubled in width, but it didn't get fatter. It's like the bones just got bigger. Like, like, like recently? Compared to like Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, I don't know. Or you mean like his, by it, this point in his career? Or Yeah, by like, his face like just now. like stretched, but it's not... It's not it's, I mean, I I'm know. sure he put on weight, but it's not like his face doesn't look fat. It's just like bony it's just he's got like a just a huge jaw all of a sudden in the, in the yeah it's 90s. like i don't know what it is it, it's definitely like he has a caricature-esque face yeah i don't, I don't know what that is i don't know if maybe yeah, he has some kinda, like weird surgery yeah i think that's probably what it is and i mean we we all know his hairline is completely different every time you see him the man is not he's full-blown bald now well he is until next the Academy oh, yeah. Award was when he embarrassed himself <laughs> again. But, like, no, his, like, <laughs> there used to be a thing where <laughs> he was almost fully bald. And then he's at the Oscars. It, it was the, I think it was the year that he, um, well, first he, he did the Adele Dazeem thing. Right. Then the next year he was back at the Oscars to kind of apologize. And then he made it worse by touching her face all over. Yeah. And his hairline was, like, significantly lower like he had more hair right. than he had before and it's like okay someone someone got some hair transplants yeah. or something but I think he I think he made the right decision by going bald I hope he sticks with it he he just he just looks more like normal he's looked weird for the past like 20 years with every single hair okay. change you know yeah I think the bald works at least 1% better than all these other hairstyles he keeps trying to go with this is not the golden age of Travolta Right. But this is a very strong Silver Age. Golden Age Travolta, 
you got Saturday Night Fever, you got Grease, you got Urban Cowboy, like all within three or four years, huge movies. Right. Then he disappears. Then Pulp Fiction is kind of the resurrection. Yeah. He's he's in that post-Pulp Fiction glow, which, you know, he's starting to make some crap here, too, because he's got Michael and Phenomenon. But this is also Get Shorty. You know, there, there was yeah. still, you know, I mean, it's before Swordfish. I think one of his big, like, post-Pulp Fiction movies before Face Off was a, another John Woo movie, Broken Arrow. Oh, I've heard of that one. Okay. Him, it was him and Christian Slater, I think. I haven't seen it, but I just I'm aware of it. Christian Slater's another guy whose face just got wider, yeah. even though it didn't get fatter. <laughs> that's that's also true. <laughs> he has a very Travolta like bone structure. He does. Right? And so it's like, good that they paired up for that movie then. You know, we were making fun of John Travolta here, of course, because it's easy to, but yeah. this is when he goes full cage. All of Cage's personality traits, you know, Caster Troy's personality trait, traits, the sexual deviancy is there. Right. Not that Cage isn't a weirdo, but I think that's historically probably more true of Travolta, given what yes, we know about him. That's definitely. And then you know the the nepotism, which is which is wonderful, and that's also probably not that that's again not that that's not true for Cage, but it's probably very true for Travolta. <laughs> it, so, <yeah. laughs> so it, it's weird that the more he plays Nicolas Cage, the more he plays himself too. I know, maybe. right? Yeah, I think I think this whole uh, sequence, whenever he like goes to archer's i guess his like neighborhood and his house and like he's like acclimating to his life oh I, yeah he I overshoots like his house at first and yeah and his wife's just staring at him or that, you know, that not whole his part's wife great. archer's wife yeah whole, i love that part and of course at this point he um gets his brother out of prison he struck a deal and he's going to cooperate which of course pollux doesn't want to do until archer explains what's up at this point archer wants to or not i keep saying archer damn it at this point, Caster Troy, in the body of Archer, wants to actually stop the bomb from going off. And you're like, oh, what's this about? And it's really, he just wants to play the hero. Now that he has the opportunity to change his life, he, he wants to go ahead and take that. And he's like, yeah. hey, no one's going to stop me. So that's kind of an interesting little monkey wrench into the yeah, story. Yeah, that, that was weird. I was, I was kind of thinking about that when I was watching it this time. It's like, I, I get what the reasoning is because you know he if he's a hero he'll make a bunch of money and but i did think it was interesting that he was so like willing to just give up a life of crime which seemed like all he was interested in before i'm speculating here but i also think he's not necessarily giving up the life of crime he's just practicing it in a more safe environment for lack of a better term where he where he can protect himself easier but he stops the bomb yeah very casually of course (laughs) (laughs) he does a little dance and this this is I think the best Travolta stuff here, and I love the when the president calls him, he's like, "Put the president on hold." Like he's just yeah. doing, he's just reveling, he's truly basking yeah. in his phony heroism, and and it's such a perfect contrast to to Travolta earlier when they're when his bureau when his colleagues are treating him as a hero, and he's like, "No, we're not opening the champagne," you know, right? And no, this guy's just like, "Yeah, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm a hero," and it's wonderful, <laughs> and it's uh, oh man. And then, of course, things are changing at home. He reads Eve's diary, which mentions that they were trying to have sex and they couldn't. And right. he's got like a funny re- reaction. Oh, he's loser. like reads that and goes like, "Loser!" <laughs> he just like reads this as like, "Huh, loser." Yeah, Travolta's hilarious in this yeah. movie. I, I do think Cage is the better performance, but Travolta playing Cage is a it, lot of great. fun. Yeah. So he's doing candlelight dinners with Eve, and he they have sex at one point. 
he you know he seems to be turning things around for archer's family of course archer isn't obviously there he also has this thing with archer's daughter her his teenage daughter named jamie this is incredibly uncomfortable that first scene where he discovers his daughter is is very where she's in her underwear yeah Yeah, because you can just see you can see it in his eyes exactly what he's doing and of course you see with the camera too well yeah (laughs) oh and god that's that's something i i you know i i don't want to Call, I don't want to call out John Woo. John Woo's a wonderful man, but, <laughs> for, for all I know. But this actress, Dominique Swain, born in 1980. This movie comes out in 1997, so right. 16 or 17 when it's shot. And there's a butt shot. Yeah, I mean, there's no nudity, but you know, this yeah. is objectified by the camera. Right. You know, objectified for the purpose of establishing or that someone's being not creepy. establishing for continuing caster's character right but also same year she's in a lolita movie this poor girl yeah dominique swain is, is she just 1997's version of 1976 jodie foster i think so i think so <laughs> unfortunately taxi driver the girl who lived down the lane you know very yeah. sexually charged characters in those two movies so yeah just just unfortunate the unfortunate. unfortunate i would agree and especially because he he goes up to her when, like, right after he's, this is earlier, when he kind of strikes out with Eve. And he, he even says, he says something. I can't remember the line exactly, but he just, like, sees her and he's just like, ooh, things are. He says that the plot thickens is what he says. <laughs> it's it's just, this would be so much more comfortable if she were 19. Right. I mean, it would still be uncomfortable in the context of the story, but now it's like uncomfortable in the context of just the filmmaking too. Yes. Oh, I just hate this stuff. <laughs> it, it's definitely a, like a little too far. It's mostly just this one scene, though, isn't it? Yeah, it, 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 it is. It's pretty yeah. much just this one scene. Like, there's another scene, but it's not like really objectifying. Oh yeah, her. she's almost she's almost raped by her boyfriend, but that's so not by, in she's, an, by a actual rapist. Oh, God, no. Yeah. <laughs> what? Dude, that's Danny Masterson from That 70s Show. Oh, I, I knew the name. I didn't know I didn't know he's in That 70s Show. I didn't know he's... Oh, wait, is, is it the um the long-haired dude? Yes. Like, curly-haired guy. Yeah, he, he, was, he had, like, a long, long history of that. Like, all Arrested the way back to... Arrested and charged till... with three counts of forcible rape. Wow. Yeah, but there's so... been, like, accusations from, like, this far back. Because he was like a, he was a Scientologist, and it uh you know, it like got suppressed. Does that explain John Travolta's sexual deviancies? We're talking about it. Is this is John Travolta's <laughs> eyeing up a sixteen-year-old's ass? I mean, uh, maybe I don't know. Oh, I hate this conversation. Can we yes. move on to the Blair Witch Project? Like that's the thing. Like it just I don't know. It just it doesn't it doesn't get better. I guess like, but yeah. So that's Danny Masterson who is an actual yeah see i i recognize that name danny masterson but i didn't even know which character he was in the movie yeah that was like the only thing i could think when i was watching this scene because it's just like i don't know it's nice you see him kind of get the shit kicked out of him at least yeah i mean i like the scene for that reason but it's like yeah you know when it's starting and that's all happening i'm just like oh no of course yeah okay this guy (laughs) well and of course after that scene after caster troy as john travolta kind of beats this guy up, threatens him. He takes his not-real daughter back in, and he talks to her. He gives her a cigarette, because that that's their initial scene. He finds her smoking, and then he joins her, and she's like, when did you smoke? But he's, of course, right. Caster Troy. 
He gives her a switchblade, which is surprising. She's like, oh, and he's like, listen, next time a guy messes with you, he tells her what to do. He says, like, I think stab his cock or I think like around he, the groin he, region. No, he's like, and then he says twist like, so the wound yeah, won't close. Exactly. He said thigh. Thigh. Well, that's groin close adjacent. Enough. He. It's because he also said, like, make sure he pulls down his pants or something like that. Back in prison, Nicholas Cage, Sean Archer, the good guy, knows he needs to escape. He talks to Tom Jane, who's in prison. This is kind of a weird role for... Tom Jane, Thomas Jane. Like, I, yeah. I thought he would have been kind of an established actor at this point, and this is like a really small role for him. But, yeah, I was you know, the same it's thing. always great to see Thomas Jane, of course. of course. But okay, so this next scene, he learns from Thomas Jane that the only place anyone gets their boots off is when they go to get shock treatment. So he beats up a guard to steal a cigarette and then goes to get willingly kind of goes well he's carried but he wants to go get his shock treatment chris bauer's character is already there who's got his brain like partially fried and the attending doctor is played by one john bloom aka joe bob briggs wait wait wait, wait. did i miss that i thought you were gonna say uh john carroll lynch because he was no john carroll lynch is is like the main guard yeah he's like the main guard but yeah I didn't notice that. I'm going to have to rewatch that scene. You and I, we like weird, stupid B-horror movies, right? Yes. If there's one person that loves that stuff more than you or I, it's Joe Bob Briggs, a.k.a. John true. Bloom, his real his real name. A lover of all things schlock, eminent TV host who was on TV in the 90s at this time on TNT. This is his... His, you know, we talked about how hot Nicolas Cage was. Really, Joe Bob was the real show. But right. what a fucking waste. I didn't even notice him, so. So it's like a cameo. I guess I question if it's even supposed to be a cameo because he was just an actor. It's cut, but he's he he's supposed to do a cameo in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Two, yeah, that seems cut. cut, but that was explicitly a cameo. I guess Casino, he plays a character. That's not really a cameo. He plays the Texan guy who uh, Robert De Niro fires in Casino. That's the only time I've really seen him act other than this. But if it's a cameo, it's a failure. I can't believe... I mean, I I straight up didn't notice that. I've watched this movie multiple times. It actually reminds me of, you know, another mid-90s sci-fi action movie that completely wastes a wonderful genre icon as a doctor who has, like, one line. Escape from L.A. and Bruce Campbell, right? That's... Yes, I... It's it's the same kind of thing, really. Did you ever um, see Intruder? Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess that is post Evil Dead, but it's I have a feeling that was Dead probably two as well, right? But yeah, it's just him as a cop in like one. Yeah, scene. at the very end, <laughs> five seconds of screen time or whatever. But it also like every DVD copy of Intruder puts his name at the top. Oh, of course, and Sam Raimi, which is funny because Sam Raimi isn't an actor; he just acts right. in that movie and gets killed. But it's like Sam Raimi is like, oh, Sam, Sam Raimi, Raimi too. It. No. No, he just gets killed. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay, so the escape happens. There's lots of throwing tables around. There's shooting. It's a huge scene. It's a big scene. It's Nick Cage and Chris Bauer fighting all these people. Chris Bauer starts killing people, of course, because he's just a criminal who, at this point, like I said, brain kind of fried. But Cage does try to get him to stop killing people. But Cage also full-on, Archer, again, full-on kills people, too. Like, when he throws that big thing of acid and shoots it, like, that probably killed those guys, right? Yeah. I feel like 
he was kind of a like seeing the guards there. He was kind of feeling justified in it because I think he found it to be cruel and unusual. He does have a line to John Carroll Lynch when John Carroll Lynch like beats him or something. He's like, when I, you know, when I got out of here, your, your ass is getting locked up or something. And he's speaking as an FBI agent, of course, but yeah. Yeah. The guards are a little overzealous. Yeah. To say the least. It is like a maximum security. Yeah. I mean it, it, yeah. These are probably like some of the worst criminals you know. The movie could have done something more with those guys. I mean, I don't think they really, they didn't end up doing that because there's just no time. Right. It's a two-hour, 20-minute movie, a lot of stuff happens that just, we can't get and into I know, this movie never stops. Because even the quote-unquote normal scenes, when it's just family drama at home, it's not normal family drama. It's <laughs> it's it's, yeah. a, it's a bad guy in disguise trying to fuck the good guy's wife or yeah, daughter. Like, that's not... <laughs> There's the movie never really slows it. down even yeah. even when it's not an action scene something weird is happening but right. this of course prison scene you know leads to a huge riot Thomas Jane saves Archer's life by taking out John Carroll Lynch and Archer gets to the roof of the prison which is when I learned that the prison was on the water I didn't w- did we see that earlier No I think it was supposed to be a reveal yeah, that's what I thought. I was just because, like, just I know wondering. when he walks out, he's like shocked. Yeah, it looks like they're on an oil rig. There's a helicopter that shows up, starts shooting at him, and then he jumps, and it's what's it, about a hundred feet or something, yeah. seventy-five feet. It's in, into the water. Incredible stunt. John Travolta is just leaving for work, and then um, Archer's wife is like, "Hey, why are you? Are you just trying to avoid today? What are you doing?" And he's like, "What? What's going on?" And then so they go. To, it's it's there. It's the son's birthday, so they go to visit the grave. This guy that killed this poor kid has to go to sit at the grave while the wife prays the mother. And then he gets um gets to work, and he mentions that it's his son's birthday, and they're like, "Well, this ought to be poetic justice, you know." Right. Castor Troy is dead. And then, and then he's like, where's the body? And they're like, oh, they haven't found the body yet. And he's like, hey. and then he flips out. And because so he knows Caster Troy's not, or not Caster, in this case, Archer isn't dead. Right. And the guy's like, well, I assure you, he's not coming back to L.A. if he's got any brains on him. And he's like, I assure you, he's already here. Or yeah, something. that's a great so, line. And of course, we don't really find out how he gets back to L.A., no. but he's back there. He gets a car at one point. I don't know how. And he makes a phone call. He makes two phone calls first. And this is, again, Nicolas Cage calls his wife, who works at a hospital. She's a doctor. And says, the man who you think is your husband isn't your husband. Get out of the house immediately. And she hangs up, you know, thinking it's a weirdo. Right. Then he makes a call to the FBI, speaks with, of course, himself, Castor Troy in this case. Caster Troy picks up the phone and is like, okay, this is Sean Archer speaking. And then he's like, well, I guess that makes me Caster fucking Troy or something. It's yeah, like, that's oh, pretty yeah, much exactly awesome. what it is. Yeah, that's exactly and what it is. And that's like all that that scene is. is, is, is he just kind of, uh, the conversation doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, more just or less an just acknowledgement. After that. Sean Archer ends up going to the home of Dietrich, Caster Troy's drug dealer buddy, played by Nick Cassavetes. Right. And his sister, Sasha, played by the incredible Gina Gershon, star of Bound and Showgirls, and one episode of Psych. To the American duos, yep, (laughs) she sure is. Her and Tim Curry. Sasha has a young boy, and she understands that 
if she's ever caught doing anything criminal again, anything Caster Troy related, they're going to take her boy away. Yeah. Sean Archer discovers that the little boy is actually Caster Troy's son, which is something Caster Troy doesn't even know. And he suddenly feels, you know, he feels bad for the kid. He feels bad for Sasha, too. He kind of wants to help them, protect them. And, of course, they are scouted out by Pollux Troy and the FBI, who begin this giant shootout. Fantastic scene. First of all, this home, this, like, penthouse apartment, amazing. Yeah, amazing crazy. set for this for this kind of action scene. Lots of glass to be broken. They do a, a thing which this felt very John Woo. They put headphones over the little boy's ears, and we can tell that it's somewhere over the rainbow, the Wizard of Oz song. Yeah. But and I thought like, oh, this is going to be a neat thing where the scene's going to be like slow motion. And it's going to be set to this song. That's what I thought too. It wasn't for a while. It, it it eventually gets that way. I'm not sure if it's ever slow motion, but eventually that becomes dominant in the soundtrack. But yeah. that's like a couple minutes into the scene still. And this is after, you know, dozens of people have been shot. It's an incredible action scene. But I'm like, this feels very, very John Woo. This feels very Asian cinema, Asian action cinema. I actually read it was so much John Woo that he actually paid his own money to license the song the studio didn't want to license the song and he's like fuck it i'll do it myself and he puts it in the movie and then the movie made a lot of money so the studio paid him back it's like oh, okay that's, that's pretty cool. cool yeah we didn't even uh mention that before this whole shootout scene is uh when we get the classic scene with oh Nick the Cage, face off line the, the yeah, title line yeah take his his face off i'd like to take his his face off I never knew it was a weird line delivery because he's on drugs. And then, like, and then right after we get a scene that's just as great before uh, Gina Gershon is reintroduced, where he's just uh, looking in the mirror and like yeah. exploring his face. At first, he like points a gun at the mirror, and then that's like one of the great Nick Cage face scenes of just him smiling like a lunatic. And just, yeah. like, twitching his face, and then he, like, slowly turns around. So, during this action scene, Dietrich gets killed. Dietrich then kisses his sister on the mouth, which is weird. <laughs> then he dies. Gina Gershon and her young son get away. Then we have the famous mirror, you know, yeah. the House of Mirrors scene, which, if Incredible. this movie is known for one scene it's probably this right this is this is a big john woo thing too but like how how he how he blocks this scene where there's all these mirrors they shoot most of them but there's like one mirror left and it's each of the two characters they know each other's on the other end they both have their backs to it and so it's this beautiful like you know it's obvious composition but it's but it's it's interesting composition yeah it's like the, the whole mirror thing and you obviously mentioned the mirror in the in the previous Nick Cage face acting scene. And then we get a uh, one of my favorite lines from the movie. When, and what is that? Well, so it's when they're talking back and forth, mm-hmm. and uh, he's like, "Look, as much as I'm enjoying being you, we both know that it's yeah. better being you know ourselves." Whereas, so he's like, "Why don't we just switch back?" And then you know he sells him the fuck off or whatever. He goes, "Okay, well I guess we'll just have to kill each other." Yeah, <laughs> and then so they they both shoot the mirror, right? And both are able to get away. Yeah, this is just a thing in these kind of gunfu movies where like 
probably this movie more than most, but like guns are awesome. But when it comes to main characters, it, yeah, not they, even they kind of function like fists. Yes. Where like, because a gun in real life can kill you in a split second, but not in these movies, not when it comes to a main character anyways. Right. It's especially prevalent in the prison break scene. And then. Oh, sure. Later, later on, which I'll, I'll talk about. When well, we even there. even earlier, the the um the airport hangar. I mean, I it's the whole time. But like, yeah, yeah anytime the where they're just movie. like I mean, out running bullets, it happens a lot in this yeah. movie. <laughs> and there's like yeah. twenty people it, shooting with like ARGs, and somehow this unarmed person's like completely evading it. Yeah. So Nick Cage gets up to the roof. He swings around and kicks Pollux Troy down through yeah. the glass roof and kills Liam Gallagher. Once and for all. And there's a wonderful moment where John Travolta is looking at him and is all sad. And then another FBI or a SWAT team guy is just like, why are you so sad, sir? It's just Pollock Troy. And then he just shoots him in the head. It's wonderful. So now this is the vendetta that I mentioned earlier. It takes a while for it to be personal for for Caster Troy. but But it is now. I mean, it's always been personal for Archer. Right. There's now a um a, like a 24-hour guard on the Archer house, but Archer is still able to sneak in there. Yeah. He finds Eve. He, you know, he has to work really hard to get her to not scream and, and to get her to kind of trust him and she still really doesn't, but he he does his best to say, "Hey, this is you know, this is I am me and that dude, you're the guy you're sleeping with is not me." And um he mentions the blood types, right. but but he also um, gets sentimental over the photo of his son, of course, and he takes it, puts it in his pocket. So then at night, she gives John Travolta a little prick, takes the blood into the hospital, finds that it is indeed not her husband's blood type. Do you remember their blood types? I know. I, this is another IMDb thing. Uh, this is a symbolic thing. Really? Uh, whichever one is which. Which is the universal donor? O negative. So that is Archer. Archer's O negative because he is the good guy. He's the giver. Right. And then the universal receiver, it must be ABE positive? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Universal receiver, that is Caster Troy, the one who just takes. And it's like, okay, that's actually, that's that was, okay, obviously I combed through the IMDb trivia for this movie. I don't normally do that. Right. This is one of the rare interesting points that the film had I think. yeah no that's the, that. the trivia had that's cool i didn't know that she still doesn't fully trust him but she's obviously more open to trusting him than than she was before talking about nicholas right. cage as archer here then troy gets to the hospital he just flat out brings his goons with him which i, I think is really weird at a certain because he's like he is full on. He's cosplaying FBI now. Yeah. But he's still working with those goons, those guys that helped kill the doctor and stuff. It's like, aren't yeah. these guys probably wanted for something? Like maybe, yeah. maybe find some new friends. But he gets to the hospital. He thinks he's stumbling upon Eve with Archer, but she's just like, hey, what, what are you doing? Like, I'm a doctor. I'm on call. Like that's why I'm here. And then as, she, as that scene's wrapping up, he says something like, oh, all this lies and deceit, this is beginning to feel like a real marriage, which is kind of a cute line. Right. Caster Troy kills Archer's boss at one point. 
Right. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. A, that's an odd scene, even even for this movie. Yeah, he like he notices that he's got like a heart issue, and then he just like karate chops he karate him. chops him in the neck, <laughs> and then just says like, "Oh, it looks like he had a heart attack." And it's just like no questions asked. I yeah, guess. exactly. Like, that never gets brought up again. They're having a funeral for this FBI. I guess he's not the full-on director, but he must be the director of the L.A. office or something. Right. Of course, Caster Troy Archer has been promoted. Eve tells Nick Cage about the funeral. He says, like, this is the only time I can get to John Travolta. Get our daughter out of there and get yourself out of there, and then I will show up and I will kill him or whatever. And she's like, I can get Jamie out of here, but I'll have to go. It'll look weird if I don't. So the funeral at a beautiful beachfront church. Interesting setting. Interesting setting. This is perhaps the most John Woo scene of the film, because this is where we finally get the doves. You know, we've been waiting for it. Yeah. Well, first off, the real Archer has some final words with Sasha. And he's like, you stay out of this, you know, you make sure our son is safe. It's not actually his son, of course, but... Yeah. And she's... But she really wants Archer dead, the real... Or the... Not... (laughs) well she wants the real archer dead but she thinks it's troy right so this is where it gets confusing but that's also important (laughs) when it when it comes back later but archer shows up at the funeral he enters with the doves he kneels down and prays very hitman in in hitman there's like there's a big finale at a church it has that vibe to it it's very like it was like a beachside church that's straight up plagiarism yeah it might as well be eventually the church empties out after the funeral, and it's just it's just Nick Cage. But then, of course, Travolta shows up with Eve. He's he and his men are holding Eve hostage, right? And he claims that Jamie is on her way too. So we get ourselves a wonderful standoff that becomes a Mexican standoff when some of the goons get involved. Then it becomes a colombian standoff i don't know the proper term when uh, sasha is, shows yeah, up is there even a term for that you felt like we needed this because there's there's this whole like mistaken identity thing yeah. throughout the movie like we needed a scene where people are aiming guns at the wrong people and and it's a great and scene because, for travolta because he, he does that whole like Ooh, what a predicament like he he goes like oh, full oh, evil, sure. yeah. evil villain in this scene and he does the whole thing where he uh he does like the jesus on the cross pose yes he does Travolta, you just really get the sense he is absolutely having a blast in this movie. Yeah. Uh, whenever he gets to, which is Nicolas Cage in the beginning of the movie when he's just doing that, you know, when he's grinding right. on, that, on that on that choir singer and everything. I mean, <laughs> same kind of thing, but yeah. But uh, Sasha, of course, shows up, guns pointed at Travolta, but of course, thinking she's killing or about to kill Archer. The shooting commences. Sasha ends up diving and saving Eve, but she gets shot herself, and she dies on top of Archer, who, of course, she thinks is Troy, and she says to him, like, make sure our son is okay. Yeah. Then the fight continues, and it, you know, the fight, again, this is one of those things, they have guns, right? But no, this it's a big action scene, it's the climax it's not, it's not going to be over in one shot, right? right? So it's, and then of course Jamie gets involved, and and Nick Cage sees her and tries to s- save her, but she thinks she's trying to run from him, and she's falling downstairs. People, you know, there's bullets going everywhere. Eventually, Nicholas Cage, the hero, Sean Archer, overpowers Travolta, but then Jamie screws everything up, grabs a gun, <laughs> and shoots. And you don't blame her here, but she shoots. Uh, 
her dad in the shoulder, thinking, of course, he is her brother's murderer. And then immediately after that, then Travolta just grabs her and and is like, oh, you know, he's like, thanks, but you you, kind of screwed up or whatever. (laughs) But then, of course, it was set up. The switchblade, she pulls it out of her pocket, stabs him in the thigh. And yes, we do get confirmation there is a twist, although no groin is removed. Yeah, a lot of great little setups and payoffs here in this movie but then it becomes a boat chase and i now i again i had seen this movie before it had been a long time i was full-on ready i was thinking in my mind as i was watching this movie no boat chase will ever be a satisfying climax i was thinking that you know let me explain my mindset here a boat chase to me is a supplemental action scene it is a first or second act thing it's not like a final act thing well, yes. Listen, this is this is while I'm watching the movie. Okay. Think think of um, boat chase action movie scenes. Uh, Last Crusade. Last Crusade came to mind immediately. First act. Yeah. Yes. First act. Right. It's it's a great scene, but that's not the climax. No. What's that Jodan Baker movie that was on Mystery Science Theater? Mm. Not Mitchell. It's the other one because the climactic boat chase and it's like the lamest thing in the world there. And I'm like, I understand. I We're not. We don't have to measure these movies against <laughs> Mr. Science Theater movies. I, I get it. But from Russia with Love, the climax is kind of a boat chase. Yeah. But the real awesome scene in that is the fight on the train. Right. Like everything after that is is like it's a slightly underwhelming dessert to yeah. a fantastic steak you just had with Robert Shaw on the train. That's right. Thunderball a little bit, kind of a uh, little bit of a boat chase aspect to that climax, which uh, yeah, really not great because it's like it's, they all did the, like the sped up thing, and it just really again, and then it's different. And then you could also argue same, same kind of thing with For Marshall with Love. The real climax is the forty-five minute underwater harpoon fight, That's which true. I personally find incredibly underwhelming, but it's cool for different reasons, you know. So I'm thinking like, okay, when has there been a great boat chase climax? Then it becomes clear that, oh, in face-off, yeah, this is as the this time. scene goes on, it gets more and more incredible. At first, it's just like boat chase. It's like, okay, yeah, boat chase. You know, then a police boat shows up. Everybody's, they're shooting back at these guys. Nick Cage's boat gets rammed through a boat, which explodes. And then there's yeah. like an oil leak on his, uh, <laughs> or a gas, gasoline leak on his boat. So he has to jump to the other boat. And then they're fighting on there, which is awesome. Uh, Travolta picks up the anchor and is swinging it at him and it's like oh my god this is awesome and then of course the on water version of indiana jones climbing underneath the truck right in raiders of the lost ark as john travolta is thrown off the boat but he grabs onto the anchor and is basically water skiing on on, <laughs> on his shoes yeah. until he's able to climb back on incredible stunt that work. was great this was that a wonderful climactic boat chase that I didn't think was possible. I also just think, like, right out the gate, I love it because at this point, there's so many times when it feels like we were coming to, like, a huge action closer. Like, sure. Like Going back the, to the mirror scene. It, like, that scene was like, that this could, this have been could the be climax. the ending. And then the, the church, that definitely could have been the ending. So by the time oh, they're sure. on the boats, I'm just like, oh, this is incredible. It just won't stop. Like, they just keep it coming. Part of what I love about this movie, and maybe, you know, personally I don't love the Fast and the Furious movies, but I think this could be the appeal for some people that do love those, the maximalism of it. Definitely. Nothing is subtle. No. Even even some of the the composition that I'm talking about, like, oh, they're in between a mirror. That's not subtle. It's just mildly clever, and it's interesting visually. And, right. 
it's interesting them it works thematically but it's not subtle by any means yeah. and like anything with the mirrors are like the least subtle things in film basically right but oh man this is awesome and then this climax basically kind of has a three-act structure going back to the church that's the first act right boat chase second act because the boat crashes they get sent flying yeah onto the beach and then that's really the third act i guess of that scene yeah where they're fighting on the beach they set up the a harpoon while they're on the boat chase. I believe it was Nick Cage who is Archer had like he found a harpoon like in the back of uh, okay. John Travolta's boat, like when he jumped onto it the first time. And so okay. yeah, so it was like it was like it was established, but it wasn't like okay. you know. Because of course Archer, Nicholas Cage, picks up the harpoon, pulls the trigger with Travolta pinned to the dock or the wall or whatever. Yeah. But Travolta is able to grab it and kind of keep it from firing for enough to kind of taunt him and say some more things. Yeah. Before finally giving in and getting killed by the harpoon. Well, he gets killed, so we think. Well, yeah. Face off, too. (laughs) So so we maybe think. The FBI and the police show up and, you know, you just see Archer, Nicholas Cage is just looking up and he's just thinking like, oh shit, how am I getting out of this? But then they're like, are you okay, Archer? And yeah. Like, what? He's like, what did you call me? And, and of course, when the big fight was happening in the church, when, once Jamie was involved, that was when Eve was on the phone with the FBI. Right. And thankfully, that you'd, you'd think that would take a little longer. Than yeah, a that's what, that's phone, what I was But it works. Maybe they did find that fail-safe plan that they had. They just... They needed a reminder of where the documentation was that they switched faces or something. (laughs) Perhaps. So, the day is saved. The two are placed in the the back of the same ambulance. Yeah. Nick Cage takes his ring back, and then... They're, they find a way they get they i think they get like the white house doctor or something they say something like the best doctor yeah, from they DC like, is yeah gonna, that's exactly what they say they're going to redo the face thing and then john travolta as you know the good guy sean archer shows up to stay with his family and he has brought gina gershon's son right which is a little bit of a weird ending. I understand they had to do something with the kid, but it's 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 kind of weird. You just think of it like from the family's perspective. It's another like too perfect. Like, I don't know. We've yeah. got well, it's not just that, but it's also like oh, we've got our father back. Oh, and we have this other kid. Yeah, you got now. a new kid now. <laughs> yeah, I think what's weird about it too is that it implies that he just adopted this kid without consulting his wife. Well, yeah, <laughs> I wasn't even thinking that, but yes, yeah, obviously, yes. And that's another thing. Like again, not subtle. But right. he sees in this kid his own son, right? It's even it's though it's subtle, the son it's, of his greatest enemy, right? It's not subtle, but it works as like emotional storytelling, yeah. right? It's there is an emotional core to this film, which is probably something that might be lacking in the Fast and the Furious movies. I don't really know. Again, I don't want to. I mean, there's definitely uh, no subtlety in the Fast and Furious. Well, yeah, <laughs> and, and I know it's all it's always a family, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's as hollow as it sounds when I hear people memeing about it. I mean, you know? it, it is, it is, it is. Okay, <laughs> but it, but I th- I do think like the this movie's about family. Yeah, I think like the better Fast and Furious movies are a very similar vibe to this movie without the like futurism of it. Well, it, but some of them do have that though, so maybe I shouldn't even say that. Okay, so I I remembered, but before we get to your thoughts on Face Off, Feck, 
Let me revisit the Liam Gallagher situation. Okay. As the main credits roll, we get a song by the band, the Australian band, In Excess. Mm-hmm. The song is Don't Lose Your Head. It's on the album Elegantly Wasted, which apparently is the last album that they did. It was the album that I guess they were touring for when uh, Michael Hutchins died. Right. I knew Michael Hutchins died relatively young because I remember as a kid, there was like an MTV or maybe VH1 reality show about picking the next lead singer for NXS or something. This is like 2005, maybe. But yeah, Michael Hutchins, fantastic, I would say underrated frontman in rock. Incredible singer. Certainly. Good songwriter. He has a, he's, even though he's dead, he has a songwriting credit on one of Dua Lipa's hits, because if you listen to that song, it's absolutely just, I think it's What You Need by NXS. It's absolutely <laughs> just an NXS riff. Uh, you know, know, and that. I like Dua Lipa, so no, I'm not throwing shade there, but. That's cool. I didn't. I didn't really know '90s in excess. This song I, I liked quite a bit. And yeah, it did it's... sound a little Oasis-y to me. Okay. Again, going back to Liam Gallagher, according to Wikipedia, according to an interview in the, I'm reading this exactly. According to an interview in the News of the World Sunday magazine, the lyrics for "Don't Lose Your Head" were aimed squarely at Oasis frontman Liam Gallagher, <laughs> with whom Hutchins had many disagreements over the years. Which is news to me. I looked all over, you know, this is just Wikipedia, but I looked all over Wikipedia, you know, pages for both Hutchins and for Liam Gallagher. There's no mention of the other one in either So there there, you go. There's the tie-in. So this this may be a great, you know, forgotten secret of rock feud or something, but... You should throw that on the IMDb trivia. But yeah, Liam Gallagher, not only does he appear in the film, he is referenced in the song lyrics of Don't Lose Your Head. (laughs) The, uh... The song that closes out Face Off and on that bombshell. Feck, what did you think of Face Off? It's great. I mean, it's one of the most, like, you know... I mean, I think there's a lot of movies where you're supposed to suspend disbelief, but it's one of those movies where it's like, it doesn't work if you don't suspend every shred of disbelief that you could possibly have. Not a single moment of it makes any coherent sense, but that's what makes it work. And of course, yeah. I mean, it's just fun to see Nick Cage and John Travolta pretend to be each other for a full movie. Man, it's oh, just God, crazy. that is you. You cannot understate how fun that is. Yeah, that's the beauty it of really, it all. Really, that's all like it probably wasn't written with them two in mind. But to me, it feels like this movie could have been just like based on that idea of like, what if Nick Cage and John Travolta switch bodies? And that's the movie. Uh, again, going back to IMDb trivia, there were a ton of names that were at one point or another, considered for this movie. Right. Arnold and Stallone at one point. Oh, God. Michael Douglas, I think he ended up... Mm. Michael Douglas was very close to being in this movie. I don't remember who he was going to act opposite, but I think he ended up getting a producer's credit because he, I think, had to regrettably drop out... Wow. ...because of a con- a, a timing conflict. I don't know if the game came out around the same time or something, but he really wanted to be in it, so I think they ended up he ended up serving as a producer is what i read Mm. alec baldwin at one point god which alec baldwin shooting people with guns i don't think i can believe it i just you know it doesn't sound right it doesn't sound no and and harrison ford i think harrison ford maybe was going to be opposite douglas which would have been interesting I, i yeah it's just like at the end of the day there's no pairing that could have been better than what they went with 
Denzel and Snipes, I think that would have worked. That would have been that cool. Probably would have been of the pairings that I saw. I think that is my yeah. n- number two behind what we have. That, yeah, that's not. That, I, I would watch that. But I think Snipes could have nailed the tone. Yeah, I, um, I think they both could have. I think that that could have definitely worked. Oh yeah, Den- Denzel can overact. I mean, training. He won an Oscar right. overacting. Training Day is is very much like a a Nick Cage type performance. Right. You know. But uh. I know for a fact, if we get another face-off, it's going to be the, the same two yet again. Oh, just... Oh unless God. unless they're bringing just Nick Cage back and, and introducing oh, someone else. I don't know how that would work, but... This movie's very removed from reality. I, I understand if you take a relatively straightforward action film and you bring someone back from the dead, it's going to work better in a sequel to this than a sequel to Die Hard or other, you know, action movies. Yeah. I get it because there is that suspend your disbelief, but I just don't want to see that. Yeah, I really don't. I don't either, but I'm just saying it's it's happening. Can you imagine John Travolta headlining a movie nowadays? Jesus. I mean, that would do it. Sad. That would do it though. If it was a sequel to a a built-in audience, like you know, with 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 Face Off. I I I don't want to see a sequel, quite frankly. I don't either, but I'm going to see it if it if it comes out. You know what I think? I mean, we're mentioning the actors, of course, here. Right. Someone who is hugely a part of how great this movie is is John Woo. Yeah, and that's... Can't, can't that's overstate early John Woo how different it was from other right. action filmmakers, American action filmmakers. It was unique. And now, post-Matrix, post-John Wick, post wanted if anyone even remembers that movie right you can't hit us with something that truly feels unique in that way i don't think yeah as far as i know this is john woo's best american film this is an excellent film i'm not saying it's better than the killer not saying it's better than hard-boiled but this is an action classic this is awesome beginning to end it's just incredibly entertaining the acting is just fun it's not like great acting like they don't watch scenes from Face Off at Juilliard, yeah. I don't think. But it, it works, and, and both actors have such strong personalities and all these quirks. And then when you see the other actor playing the other one, th- th- then they're really doubling down on the quirks and stuff, and it's fun. It's it's hard to explain. As as we were, you know, I was kind of fumbling with the names and long pauses when I was thinking of the names. But it's easy to understand when you're watching it because yeah. both characters are so distinct, and the action's awesome, and there is enough of a heart to the movie with John Travolta's character and eventually who eventually is Nicolas Cage's character. The attachment to the son and the, eventually the attachment to Gina Gershon and her son. I think that works well enough for me. I probably wouldn't have wanted more of that than there is because I think then you run the risk of like that opening scene being like too sappy, too overly yeah. sentimental because at the end of the day this is just a turn off your brain and just have a good time kind of movie. But that can be tiring if there isn't at least some kind of human element. Yeah, I think they they balanced it for sure. Oh yeah, very well done. Yeah, they balanced it perfectly. Yeah, I I, th- I agree with every. I think it's I think it's perfect. I mean, I think they did a a great job with with all of it. I was just like, if you if you just go into it, it honestly with no expectations and just wanting to see a movie with Nick Cage and John Travolta, it's it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, they they both bring it. Would you like to get started on the Blair Witch Project? I'd love to.
search of the three missing Montgomery College students continues in Frederick County tonight. Ten days and thousands of man hours have been unable to produce any clues. We have a few leads, a um, few other options we want to take advantage of and just try to put together some, uh, some pieces to this puzzle. Do you believe the occult may be involved in the disappearance of your son? The thing about Blair Witch, though, is that it's kind of hard to take scene-by-scene notes for Blair Witch. It's a traditional narrative in the sense that there's an A, B, C, but it's not a traditionally told narrative, if that makes sense. A scene could just be a five-second shot of Heather about to pee in the middle of the woods, you know, and then they cut to, like, a close-up of a dead rat, and then, you know, now it's there's a bunch of rocks, and now it's nighttime, and now, you know. Before we get into the plot, we need to provide some context. I think we kind of have to talk about what a sensation this was when it came out. Yeah, right. so, yeah, 1999, this movie... Well, first of all, this movie was made in, I think, like, 95 or 96. Like, it came out... Really? A few years after it was filmed. It's set in 94, but I'm not saying that's when it was made, because it, in the yeah. context of the movie, it would make sense that it's set a few years before. There was, a like, a lot of hype around this movie, initially, before they even sold it to any studio, and that's why this like, movie essentially invented viral marketing. It did as, as for as far as movies go. It did. I mean, when well, when the movie came out, IMDb listed all the actors as deceased. Really? Wow. Okay. All of the and the, the I mean, I say all the actors, the three actors. There's three actors. Yeah. And then those three, uh, they also like took a year off of like acting to okay better make it. So they did the appear. Cannibal Holocaust route because that uh, was the thing with. With Cannibal Holocaust, Ruggiero Deodato, he had the actors all sign contracts that they had to not make any public appearances for yeah, a year, they did the six same months thing. or something. They did the same and thing. And that hyped this. up the um, expectations of, oh my god, is this a snuff film? And I didn't realize... Right. I, I guess I think of Cannibal Holocaust almost as being like a lost film before like the age of DVDs. And now, right. like, okay, people know it, it's like well-known, but obviously someone saw it back in the day. So I, I guess I wouldn't expect is Merrick and Sanchez to kind of be borrowing from that yeah, and uh, as much I, as they might have. So I believe uh, Heather Donahue also thought that this might end up being an actual snuff film. And she like brought okay. like a, a big ass knife on the like, first day of set, just in case like it didn't uh, go the way she was expecting. Yeah. You got, you always got to wonder about like a casting call for this, like what that looks like. And I mean, I got to say, well, again, I mean, well, I'll get into this. As I go on, but I mean, they couldn't have picked better actors for this movie. I mean, like this movie really only works if the actors are like 100% believable. Mm -hmm. And that's the, in my opinion, like the real strong thing about this movie. I do not disagree. Were you old enough to remember when this movie came out? I was born in 1996, so no. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Yeah. um... (laughs) But but I can tell you this. I was old enough to remember the Scooby-Doo project which I don't know if you've ever seen that. <laughs> no, of course not, but okay. But it, it was My a, dad didn't let me watch cartoons when I was a kid. They aired, so they, what they used to do, it's terrifying in, in retrospect. What they used to do is they would air commercials for a Scooby-Doo marathon, and they would show, like, real-life footage of evidence bags with, like, what famous things from Scooby-Doo, like, like Velma's glasses or okay. Sco- or, a, or a bag of Scooby snacks, or something. or the old the old school uh, Scuba mask, or whatever, right that thing, yeah. And then the Scooby Doo project, they was like it was like a 
it was probably like 20 minutes total, but they aired it in between episodes of Scooby-Doo. Like they aired like five minute blocks and it was shot live action, but with the cartoons of Mm. the characters like imposed onto like real woods. And it was like, it was extremely like lovingly recreated shots. Like the, like the scene of them walking away from the car, they Mm -hmm. exact shot with the mystery machine. (laughs) Okay, <laughs> and it's terrifying as a kid because if you don't know it's a parody, because like obviously you don't know what the Blair Witch Project is when you're that old, yeah, that young. I mean, and so it's it's terrifying. Well, I, I'm gonna bring up a couple things. First off, I guess I am familiar with one, for lack of a better term, recreation of the Blair Witch Project. No, it's not the Bear Winch Project. I've never seen that, but God bless Jim Moynorski. I, I know which one you're talking about, though. I bet. Well. You you missed him in the last movie, but Joe Bob Briggs. I had this uh, these downloads on my old computer of of old Monster Vision episodes, and he did. I don't remember what they called it, but they did like their own Blair Witch type yes. thing for like oh, a, that's a summer. Not what I was thinking of, but I know exactly what you're talking about. No, yeah. Why would you think of that? But uh, but I'm familiar with it. I saw the. I think Child's Play Two was one of the movies he did. Uh, yes. maybe the first Child's Play. I can't remember what that was called. And then also, I want to circle back to my memories of this movie when I was a kid. I did not watch it when I was a kid. I didn't watch it until I was much later. I did not watch horror movies when I was young. I was 15 years old the first time I saw a horror movie in the theater, I think, and it was Mm -hmm. Disturbia, and it scared the shit out of me. (laughs) So I've come a long ways. But when I was a kid, I remember hearing about the Blair Witch Project. I remember vaguely, like, there was this, like, is it real kind of thing. Right. No, I was born in 92. I don't think I was in kindergarten when the movie came out, but maybe this is a couple years later. My brother was three years older than me, and I used to hang out with him and his friends at recess. And I remember some of them talking about the Blair Witch Project. And so I do remember, like, the Blair Witch being, like, the scariest thing. I mean, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anything about the mythology. And I didn't see the movie until I was probably an undergrad, so 19 maybe, but... Yeah, so I do have kind of these like vague recollections of like, oh yeah, this was a huge deal when it came out. Yeah, I definitely wasn't old enough to remember that, but I've definitely looked into it. And also because like growing up when I did, I didn't catch like all that while it was happening, but I caught just about every parody. Oh, I saw all ever. that when I was a kid. I'm just saying the like show? the the Nickelodeon yeah, show, yeah, that, all the, that. The Nickelodeon show, all that. Of course, yes. That's Amanda Bynes on there. But anyhow, I witnessed all of the Blair Witch parodies that ended up shoehorning its way into just about every show, whether it was a kid's show or not. Uh, I feel like every Cartoon Network show and every Adult Swim show ended up shoehorning in some Blair Witch parody. So, yeah, so, I mean, it was like its reputation definitely preceded itself. There was... I, mm-hmm. I was familiar with it, but honestly, it wasn't even like a positive thing because I felt like people were making fun of it in all these parodies. Yes, that's that's the thing that that is what surprised me so much when I finally did see this movie in throwing a year out there, let's say 2013. Yeah. At this point, Blair Witch almost seemed like it was a joke. No one was talking about it anymore. Yeah, it I was agree. like this thing that was big at the time. You know, at this point, the this is after some of the Paranormal Activity movies had come out. And, like, no one no one was, it just, it wasn't on people's minds. It, it seemed like one of those movies that had just kind of, like, lost traction completely. Yeah, like, and, I, and so I wasn't I mean, expecting it to be as good as it is. I can't overstate. I put this on, like, the first time on a complete whim. 
just like thinking, yeah, you know what? I like found footage movies and like you know whatever. Do you? It, it's an well, you like the Bad Ben movies, which I like. I do yeah. to a certain extent. I like found footage movies. I mean, it's either like really good or really bad. There's usually no middle ground. Well, I actually think Bad Ben is the middle ground because well, there's so many are, ways definitely. in which they're no, but there's so many ways in which those are terrible. But there's just something fun yeah, about Nigel Locke. Yeah, but like some are just great. like not fun. You know what I mean? Like it, it can be really boring. You know, if okay. it's a if it's a bad found footage movie, if the actors aren't good, and if it's boring, like there's nothing redeeming. That's about a found yeah. The actors, movie. the actors, I think are the big thing. Like you mentioned, the definitely. acting in this movie is great, and I cannot agree enough. Quite frankly, I mean, horror gets a bad rap, and even right. though I love the genre, I am guilty of doing this sometimes. Like, I've said certain things are good for horror movies, and I, I've I've made that, you know, if you call it a mistake, I've made that mistake. Sure. The Blair Witch Project, like, we, we don't talk about acting in horror movies. Like, really big horror fans might, and you, like, I'll say, like, oh, this person's really great when they're scared. They have an amazing scream, but it's like, it's things like that. Right. This movie, the performances in this movie are absolute powerhouses. I agree. They're subtle. Yeah. It's the opposite I, of face off. I agree. Off. It's, for, I it's mean, for the, me, there's not a single like moment that's beyond belief, like in the acting right. in this whole film. Like they yeah. all play it so perfectly. Yeah, and that's really uh, the f- this is where you have to kind of talk about this movie as a found footage movie different than when you talk about like a traditional narrative movie, right? Right. How this movie works isn't how a movie like The Conjuring works. The Conjuring works because you're into the story, you're into the special effects, you know, what have you. Right. Blair Witch Project, if it works or it doesn't work, it's how authentic it is. Right. How authentic it feels. And honestly, I think that that's so, like, at the forefront is the reason why a lot of people don't like it. Not because they have something against, like, good acting or anything, but because I think... So if many you people, can't get into it, you can't yeah, get into it. Like so many people go into this movie thinking, oh, it's a found footage movie like Paranormal Activity. There's going to be a bunch of scary mm-hmm. stuff that happens and all this. But this isn't a movie about scary stuff happening. It's no. like these really great actors responding to a terrifying environment. That's the thing. Paranormal Activity, a lot of people hate it. At their best, those movies are creepy and they feel authentic enough, and they're fun. Um, they're yeah, they're, they're they're not that fun, but <laughs> some, of them, some of them are fun. Some of them are fun. Some of them, some of them, sure. Paranormal Activity, they are jump scare movies, though. Everything centers around the jump scare. How many jump scares are in this movie? Is there one? No, there's not one. Maybe you could maybe argue one of those things that happens at the very end is a jump scare. Yeah, I was about to say like I, that, like yeah. the literal last shot. You know, yeah. the literal like last thing that happens, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, and of course, and this and that's another thing with found footage movies. They all end exactly the same, basically. Right. And that's kind of just unfortunate. It's, that's just the it's the nature of the genre. We'll talk about this later, but do you know the uh, alternate endings for this movie? I knew this film had alternate endings. Off, off the top of my head, I don't know what they are. Well, basically, just the way that the movie ends, they did... You, like, you know how it ends. They did multiple things that they thought might be very effective and ended up going with the one that they already had in mind i think you and i clearly we both recommend this film if you don't know that much about it definitely check it out yeah it's it's probably best to go into it not knowing a whole lot i do think it's important to understand just how freaking big this movie was in in the context of like you know i think it's an important film in the history of film for independent filmmakers and stuff like that but it's also just like 
it's not the first found footage movie. You know, it's one of the biggest we already mentioned box office gross. Like I think, I think ever net net gross. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's, it's like this, it's Halloween. I'm sure is up there. Some other movies that are made for virtually no money, but yeah, absolutely go see it. So like this movie took a while for them to make it. Initially they kept editing. Cause when you, I guess what you have to think like they filmed a lot and they edited it into an hour 20, like maybe even a little under an hour 20. The initial cut of this movie was like an hour 50 or something like that. And they screened it and it was like unwatchable because it was just so slow. And in all in this meantime, they had made a documentary about the movie called The Curse of the Blair Witch, which I don't know if you've seen that. No, I, I just added it to my letterbox watch list just the other day. I, I had heard I had known about it for a while, but also, if I may. Yes. The Nair Witch Project was the yes, Joe Bob I, Bridge I, thing. I also looked it up a minute ago. I was going to bring it in. Carrie, Child's Play 2, and Phantasm 1 and 2. Yeah, I Which is noteworthy because on Shudder, do Joe Bob two. Refused, to, refused to show Phantasm 2, and he claims that no one could ever watch it because they blow up a, a Hemi-Kuda yeah. in it. But anyone who knows, knows <laughs> anyone who's seen a DVD set of Phantasm knows the rights with Phantasm 2 are just different than all the other Phantasm yeah. movies. So that's obviously the reason they didn't show it. But I do remember the Nair Witch Project. I, I think I watched that Child's Play 2 episode recently. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, yeah, they made The Curse of the Blair Witch, which was a straight-to-TV like movie that basically acted as like a hype for the actual movie. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people probably don't even know that it came out beforehand. Okay, I, I'm not sure I knew, but okay. I, I I did know that there was buzz about this movie before, and I thought it was all just like, because the movie had a website. This is it had a website, internet. Yeah. And the missing flyers, the missing posters. Oh, sure. And anyhow, another thing, we were talking about the actors being like, that's the forefront of this movie. Another thing that really, really works about this movie that I think a lot of other found footage movies don't do, actually, I think, probably none is they wrote this dense mythology around Mm -hmm. this movie and did never never explicitly stated any of it just let it's not in the movie it's not in the movie but it's out there you can read about it there it's and and it's it's brought up in the movie things are brought up not in detail and not like ever fully explored but it's there and that's more realistic it looms but it's never the forefront of the movie i think that's tolkien-esque Yeah, exactly. But the Curse of the Blair Witch, like, explains all that in detail. So it's like, you know, it's it, it feels like a TV documentary, but uh, it's fun, you know, as a little aside. I appreciate that the movie doesn't really go into detail on the mythology, but at the same time, like, I kind of want to know, and I know you should watch some of the Blair Witch. It's hinted at. I, sh- I should, but I I found one of those like wiki pages, and it's. The, and and there's all this detail, and I'm like, okay, this isn't mentioned in the movie, and I'm like, is this in one of the sequels? Because there's Book of Shadows, which I know is like this weirdo, like self-aware sequel. I, I don't, I've yeah. never seen it. And then more recently, there was like kind of a reboot, and I wasn't sure how much of it comes from that, but maybe it's mostly from the documentary. I don't know. Yeah, the, well, the documentary is just what explains it, but the the uh, mythology is what the directors use to sign on the actors. Like sure. they told them this whole dense like like I mean Heather said that there were like pages and pages of like this dense mythology that they had made up and they and they all thought it was real like they thought that it was a real myth that they were like you know making a horror movie about 
but it's not you know it's just something that mm-hmm. they made up like they thought the Blair Witch was like an actual myth a lot of people did after that movie came out even people that were aware the Blair Witch Project was a movie still thought there was a Blair Witch legend in Burkittsville right because it just seemed like it when, seems because so it became specific. like a tourist hotspot after the movie it did so. yeah they also made like two other straight to TV documentaries about this movie that <laughs> that are times they made the Curse of the Blair Witch they made the Burkittsville Seven which is specifically okay. about the kids that got killed by the, the by Rustin Parr. And they made another one called Sticks and Stones, which was basically like the Curse of the Blair Witch, but it was it, it almost felt like leftovers from the Curse of the Blair Witch. I don't know why. Okay. It, it, yeah, that one's not worth watching. That That's, yeah, the background is, it was a huge thing, and it had been hyped up for a long time. And there was even, like, mm-hmm. separate documentary movies for the movie. I know Curse of Blair Witch came out beforehand. I assume, like, Sticks and Stones came out after, and Burkittsville 7 came out after, just to ride that wave. But, yeah, like, uh, the Curse of Blair Witch had, like, Michael's real brother in it. It had, like, real relatives of the actors and stuff. Oh, and interesting. Re- and real good actors who are, uh, you know, doing talking head shots for this, you know. Oh, they had David Byrne. Okay. Yeah, they got David Byrne, Chris France, you know, all of them. And so it was, it was, it was a big deal. And yeah, one of the biggest net grosses. Like, there's a a rough figure, like that this was made on thirty thousand or something. But the directors both said they they didn't spend like hardly anything. They don't even know how much they yeah. spent because it was hardly. Yeah, anything. I was going. I was going to say you could easily convince me it was well under thirty thousand. Yeah, and I'm sure it was zero production value in the movie. And I mean that as a compliment, though, yeah. The movie itself is just three actors who were told to go in a general, specific direction where things are just Yeah, it's mostly improvised, dialogue-wise. So, I mean, that in itself is is incredible, that you got a a coherent product out of it. And and there really is. Like, there there are themes to this movie based off just this improvised wandering. But anyway, I'll get I'll get into my notes. I'll get into my notes. I'm so scared. So it starts with the classic found footage opening text, you know, that I think, you know, ended up becoming a cliche. This all really happened. The, these were found in that's also area. something that it's it's yeah it's texas a cli- cliche in texas chainsaw massacre fargo you mentioned right. earlier like it's it goes beyond found footage it obviously works most effectively in found footage but this I is say, but. i guess probably the first movie that straight up was like like these tapes were found like in this area but there's going to be some asshole that says the last broadcast came out first and you just i guess we just have to mention that but Last broadcast, I remember being like kind of into it, and then it just had like one of the worst endings in film history. Yeah, here's here's my note. This movie was inspired by the last broadcast, a movie that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> I, maybe I, a bit harsh. I was so, yeah. it it did suck. I I remember getting excited because I was like, is this isn't this like that this inspired the Blair Witch Project, and and I I was like. Like yeah, you go watch it terrible. the way if you really if you really like saw you're like oh I'll go and watch Cube and you find out right. oh, Cube is actually pretty good but then you watch the last broadcast and it's like oh right it's like the ending's terrible but I didn't like really Anything. any of it <laughs> so I don't know I, I get how it was inspired just but anyhow so yeah so uh, you know it starts pretty normal Heather's center house Josh comes over Josh is some guy who is also in the film department with her has the camera. 
Yeah, she and Josh are friends. They're friends. Uh, and then Josh is friends with Mike, but she doesn't know Mike. Yeah, and, and they sound like they're listening to like an R.E.M. cover band when they pick up Mike. I don't know if you recall that. I always heard R.E.M. described as college rock, and sure, they're in college. Yeah, I, fun fact about that. Josh, as you know, I'm not going to, no spoilers, but he's not in a portion of this movie. And it, it was actually supposed to be Mike that was not supposed to be in a portion of this movie. Josh was relieved that he was the one selected to, I guess, leave because he wanted to go to a Jane's Addiction concert. Okay. So just- I was I was thinking that it's regardless of what you have to do in your personal life, this is, I'm sure, a miserable movie to film. I would have just thought yeah. of that. It's just, I mean, it seems like they're just hiking. <laughs> so hiking and pretending to be really scared. And getting really and they're scared. dealing with genuinely bad weather, like in real right. life, like that's true. And I mean, it like emotionally, it took a toll on on it, at least Heather. I know for a fact, you know. And I'll get to that. The the, the actors and the characters all have the same name, right? I mean, yes. Heather plays Heather, and and that's something I remember. The first Paranormal Activity did that um, because I remember thinking like whatever the boyfriend or the husband's name, like he has a weird name. And I'm like, why did they give him that name? Then I looked it up. Oh, that's the actor's name. Okay. <laughs> so I guess his parents are to blame. I don't and they, know. they do the same thing in Blair Witch Micah. 2. Micah was his name. <laughs> oh, Micah. They do the same thing in Blair Witch 2, even though Blair Witch 2 isn't found footage and it's, you know, all acting and whatnot. Uh, and, and like they're actual like known actors in that movie and they're using their... Not that I knew any of these people, but I like looked them up. It's like, oh, I've actually seen... Uh, Michael in something. Mike in uh... Josh. Josh has like a, a successful career, but you know what? He's unrecognizable though. Like I can't. Yeah, I, he doesn't look the same. He doesn't That's look right. at all like he does in this movie because I've seen him yeah, a bunch of yeah. stuff and didn't know. Yeah, he's in the Shaggy Dog. He's in the Shaggy Dog. He's in. He's <laughs> yeah, in like he Base doesn't Motel. look. But other than that, I I know like Heather retired from acting. Okay. I know she was in like an episode of Always Sunny. <laughs> that was about it. So. uh yeah, you know, they're making a, a documentary about the Blair Witch, and they, they have a scouted out, I guess, filming weekend planned. I will say, so right out the bat, we start with, like, a bunch of talking headshots of, like, random civilians, which is something they, you know, obviously drop after 10 minutes or mm-hmm. so. The old guy that they meet in the grocery, that guy mm-hmm. really sold it. Because, like, here's the thing, too. They planted people... And didn't tell the actors who was in on it and who wasn't. Oh, interesting. Because, again, the actors thought the mythology was real. Okay, And that it was a real story. So there were people who were there, and they just went up asking random people. And some of those people were able to... Had no idea what they were talking about or something. And so there are people in the movie who, like, don't know anything, who are just sort of like, yeah, I think I maybe heard something about that. You know what I mean? That is fascinating. And I will say, not disagreeing with you about the old guy, I love the mother. Yeah, I was going to say, they're both great. Because she's mm-hmm. great because of the baby. who like. Yeah, the baby to... <laughs> is, is completely... And, and then she does that wonderful improv when she's talking about like the, the, the someone getting killed or something. And then the baby has like this kind of reaction. She's like, no, 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 it's just a story, honey. And it's like, oh my god, that is amazing. Yeah. That is so good. Yeah, and she says, oh, it's just a story. Then she mouths, it's real. Yeah, yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, the, she was great. But the, the guy was great, the old guy, because they ask him about it, and he sort of looks, like, surprised by it, but in, like, a very naturalistic way. You know, he's sort of like, oh, oh, that's funny. Someone's asking me about that. I haven't thought about that in so long. And he, like, completely mm-hmm. lore dumps, but in, like, such a realistic way, like, to where he, like, can't quite remember certain things, but 
like it comes across very natural because he's the one who tells them about the Rustin Parr guy. Yeah, I, I was going to say, what's all the information we get from these people? We don't have to go like person by person, but what's the general gist? There's a we learn that Rustin Parr was this crazy old hermit. I don't even Dude know in if the '40s or something, right? The kids were going missing, and it eventually came out that he had killed kids in twos. He had one face the corner, and while he killed the other one. And then he would, you know, eventually kill the other one. He told people that the Blair Witch made him do it or that, like, the spirit mm-hmm. of the Blair Witch made him do it or what, what, whatever. And that's really pretty much it other than the, the everything else that's mentioned is, like, vague. Oh, yeah, I heard there was maybe mm-hmm. a witch up there and, like, I, I saw something, like a little apparition or something like that. And then there's the cr- the crazy lady who claims that there is, she saw like a furry, a, or a hairy, hairy woman or something. Yeah, yeah, and she's the town crazy, but she doesn't come out saying cr- like absolute nonsense. And she's not. No, she's not know. crazy. Ralph in Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, she's it's not. It's not. It's not movie <laughs> exactly. crazy. But yeah, she's a production designer. She. What the hell did she do in this movie? There's no production design. <laughs> she's one of the people who came up, who did the stick figures, the famous. Okay, stick sure. Figures. Yeah, she I was like, going to say it's it's that's the only thing really. That you know, and she the painted and the. Rustin Parr the house. house with the like children yeah. handprints and hand stuff prints, like yeah. that. Stick figure thing wasn't anything the directors came up with or you know there was nothing that was just like one day they were in the woods and they just started making those to think why not. And then of course it became Are the stick thing. figures mentioned in the Talking Heads shots? I, I I just I don't remember. No. I don't believe so. The rocks are... The rock piles are, Well, the rocks aren't. That's a thing I was going to bring up, is that the rock piles aren't brought up, but when they come across the rock piles, Heather says something like, oh, what did did Mary Brown say about rocks? But they they don't show it. it. So I always thought that was weird. But yeah, so she did did a bunch of production stuff on this movie. And also, production designers also had part in scaring them at night. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Because there was only probably like five people working on this movie other than the actors. Mm -hmm. Another thing I think is interesting is after all that, there's like a kind of a pause. We get them at the cabin, wherever they're at, before they actually set out. And the last talking head shot we get are those two fishermen, which I think is maybe one of the weirder parts of the movie. Those two One of the fishermen is, is... unfortunately the least believable person they interview i think yeah but i think he just i think it's also just the way he speaks like he sounds like he's not as believable but he also just has a really weird manner of speaking okay and every time i watch it i think is he not believable or is he just like weird like is he does he just they just happen to run into the town's nicholas cage or something yeah but i mean these guys were definitely uh, like plants yeah, they, they definitely lore dump some stuff. Because here's an interesting thing. Like, we learn so much about Rustin Parr and all that, but we don't learn anything about the Blair Witch, really. Like, we learn a couple mm-hmm. little tidbits from their black and white segments, which there's only, like, two. And they don't yeah, really the, go... Yeah, at the cemetery. You know. Yeah, and they just mentioned Coffin Rock and all that. But, like, mm-hmm. the Blair Witch is, like, the whole thing, and it's it covers so much of the curse of the Blair Witch, you know. And that, to me, is another thing that really adds to the realism of the movie. Right. The, what we're seeing is not a completed movie. Right. I mean, it literally, it's, I mean, in the context of the movie, it stops becoming a movie at a certain point. But yes, 
we they just never got around to filming the scenes where they actually say what the hell the Blair Witch is. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, no, I agree. I I think it's great. And uh, yeah, that's that's one of the cool things about that about the movie is that they never like explore that, but it's obviously important part to the movie, but also maybe it's not like maybe I mean, clearly it's possible that their Blair Witch has nothing to do with anything, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But that yeah, that's the beauty of it. So yeah, like none of the talking headshots like ever explain what the Blair Witch is and they never get around to it during the black and white parts. So yeah, I thought that's cool. And most importantly, they never have that exposition when right. we get to the non-movie part where the characters are like, oh, this is happening. This means it's the Blair Witch. Remember yes. that the Blair Witch does this. They never do any of that movie crap. Yeah, I agree. That's one of the things I love Feels about Feels authentic the entire way. Then the next morning, they leave the car, and I th- you get a really, really ominous shot of the car as they walk away. Maybe it's not as haunting the first time you watch it, but when you rewatch it, it's like... It's something really yeah, it just holds on it a little too long. They hold on it so long to where it's like, it, it makes you feel uncomfortable. Because you're like, mm-hmm. you you realize when you're rewatching it, especially, you know, they're never going to get back to that car, you know? Mm-hmm. And they're, they're never going to come close. Yeah, and they're never getting back to that Scooby van or mystery mich- mystery machine excuse yeah, me exactly you're just gonna be thinking about the mystery machine is lovingly recreate it's like a shot by shot recreation that <laughs> like <laughs> some of it all right now now can you explain they have two cameras josh yes. is usually carrying one heather's usually carrying the other heather's camera's like on all the time i don't understand the battery situation okay <laughs> i'm sure there's yeah, I, a way but I, yeah i don't either the, the <laughs> different kinds of cameras right one is video yeah I'm expecting you to explain this because you probably oh, okay. know stuff better than me. You have made films before, well, one so is I'm definitely expecting like, you to jump in here. One's like a professional film camera that they stole yes. from the school. Well, I thought they borrowed it. They, they borrowed it. it. Well, yeah, but Josh makes a, refer- or, or a, a comment in the beginning where he's like, I got it. No one knows I got it, but I got it. Oh, okay. But, okay. Um, but you know, I think they also mentioned later that like they have to get it back by a certain day. So Yeah, they, Mike, yeah. Mike, I thought, was the one that got it. Well, I thought they were relying on Mike to get the. He, oh, I, I think matter. he Someone he was probably it. talking about the sound equipment because Mike you're was right. there to do sound. Right. So yeah, uh, he yeah Josh got that. Does camera. a terrible job, by the way. I'm well. I mean, no, he does a. I mean, <laughs> I'm just talking about like how subtle some of the sounds are, but that's that's the movie. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, I mean, really, the only time he's actually doing sound is the two black and white parts. Yeah, that's so true. like that's we true. really don't even get to see him do it. that. And like, there's one part where he's doing the sound in the middle of the night when they're hearing something. Yeah, so Josh has, like, the nicer camera. That's the one that's in black and white. And then Yes, yes. I think Heather that's, has... They, they refer to it as, like, 16. It's 16 millimeter. Yes. That's film. Right. And that's the one that's running not nearly as often, but it still runs a little bit. when they, well, It mostly runs when they're actually trying to film documentary scenes. Right, but. and they reference a couple times, like, that they don't want to use it or that they need to use it, like, very sparingly, mm-hmm. you know, because it's film and, you know, you can only afford so much. And then Heather has, I believe, just a standard camcorder. Now, why is it? Is there any reason why it's black and white? I don't think it has to be black and white. I think it's probably a filmmaking choice for the it to budget. be black and white. No, I. Oh, you're filmmaking choice. I think yeah, it's that's a what I was thinking to too. To differentiate. Oh, to differentiate. Yeah, I, I. No, you're probably right. I was thinking too. There's a very small part of this movie. Maybe, maybe it's even bigger than a very small part. But there's a, there's a little bit of this movie that's kind of like. 
these are kind of pretentious film school right people heather mainly but well, uh, there's a little a bit of that theme of the movie is heather's obsession with filmmaking well yeah no i i think especially like at in the last scene without saying anything yes the last scene for them to differentiate yeah i believe you see heather's camera but you're hearing the audio from mike's so like you're seeing from heather's point of view but you're hearing her yelling yeah from another room and so it's i guess that it's because mike wasn't running sound exactly <laughs> right i don't exactly. know exactly <laughs> i think it's mainly to differentiate but also i mean maybe that film camera just shot in black and white i i I don't really know. <laughs> I've never shot on film, so I mean, I don't, I'm not. Okay. I'm right. not super well versed on that. But I also think maybe they there's a mood to it, like for the actual documentary. Oh, sure. You know, there's a mood for her sitting on Coffin Rock, and she's yeah talking all like slow and professional and whatnot. I the, honestly, the film that Heather is trying to make is essentially what ends up being the Curse of the Blair Witch. Sure. Yeah, that's kind of what I was picturing when you were talking about that. It's it's I think it's cool that they're basically just like wandering without knowing where they're supposed to be going because like there are things that they come across way later than they're supposed to way earlier, like the stick figures for example they were supposed to find on like the first day. Yeah, and those are way later. The movie really makes you wait for them. The coffin rock is like the first right. landmark I think that they get to right. Yes. And what's the importance of Coffin Rock? That is where, like, a search team was killed? The actual Blair Witch <laughs> was, uh, like, tied to a tree or whatnot. You know, the lady who ends up being known as the Blair Witch. Yeah. And kids in the neighborhood think they're ha- they, like, see her and think that they're having visions of her and nightmares of her. So they go to find her body, basically. And there's a search team sent to find the them people who went searching for her you know and they were Mm -hmm. all dead and like disemboweled and whatnot and then if i recall correctly like they find the kids that rustin parr killed also on coffin rock or something like that okay yeah well there was also something about the search team was torn apart disemboweled on coffin and then they weren't there and then they weren't there but there was another search team that was there long enough to see that the bodies were there but then when they returned there they weren't and it's a little confusing. It was, they, yeah, it was that, like, people discovered it, and then when they got, I guess, people to come take the bodies, they weren't there anymore. Not to spoil Curse of Blair Witch too much, but a big thing about it is that, like, every 40 years, something happens. Oh, involving, they do, like, an it, it thing. Basically, because, like, the, the Rustin Parr stuff happens, like, 40 years after the Blair Witch dies. Like, I mean, it's like 19 in the forties and that happens in the early 1900s or late 1800s. And then this happens in like the late 90s, you know, it's some, it's something loosely like that. Like, it's like the Blair Witch project is like the 40 years later thing. You know, I, 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 I don't know if that was ever the director's intention or if that was just for the curse of Blair Witch. Like, different people came up with that that that's that seems like a uh um twin peaks the lost uh yeah, the, files or whatever that yeah. seems like a little like uh the mark frost thing. mark frost kind <laughs> yeah. of thing yeah doesn't it but yeah I, I don't know how much of that was ever intended but it's in the curse of blair witch so it's canon to somebody so a, a cool thing is that we don't really see what happens the first night that they sleep we just kind of hear Josh mm-hmm. explain that he heard a couple noises, and mm-hmm. they're both like like a normal person, you know. They're not like terrified, but they're just like, man, I would be freaking yeah, out like, if oh, I heard yeah, that. That's weird. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that would be scary. 
right out that day is when they discover all the rocks. They they find or they're looking for a cemetery or something like that, and uh, they find all those piles of rocks. And uh, Heather's like, "What did Mary Brown say about rocks? What was that she said about rocks?" But whoa, what is this, dude? Guys, do you remember something that Mary Brown said the other day? What was the story from the Bible that she was telling us? Fuck, I wasn't listening to her because I thought she was a lunatic. It was Esau, but it was something about a pile of rocks. What what the fuck was it about a pile of rocks? No, but but you're you're saying she didn't actually say anything about rocks. So she probably did. She probably did, and they cut it out of the movie for some. Oh right, yeah, that's what I mean. Like we don't see. We the viewer don't don't see her say it. Now let me ask you a question. Does that? take away a bit from the reality that this appears to be partially edited no because i think the way that this was marketed was you know there's hours and hours of footage okay condensed to like just you know a coherent narrative okay okay sure i mean i know that that's how they promoted it i wasn't sure about that because obviously it is edited we don't have right six straight days of heather's pov obviously that i okay i was just asking yeah, and I mean, also, like I said, they they had a way longer edit, and it just, like, apparently did not work at all, you know? I, I love this movie, but it, it is a hard movie to watch for, like, that long, you know? You wouldn't want to watch an yeah. hour 50 of this. Cause, I agree, you know, and this is this is a, a really great movie. It's really well done. It's not entertaining. It really isn't, and I, I'm not saying that as a bad yeah. thing. Like Honestly, I mean... I, I, I gotta disagree. I like I okay. to me like this movie's super quotable and it's just like what quotes do you use from this film in your day to day life? <laughs> I'll tell I'm you I'm curious. I'll tell I, you I yesterday, don't know yesterday. Going. It's all like not even like big quotes. They're like I've just right. seen this movie so many times. Like sometime like the, the other day my girlfriend said something and I was like, Would that be a full of shit statement? Which is something that Josh says to Heather okay. at, at some okay. point. There's just like little things that I just... And not so much like big Blair Witch lines, but like 90s kind of lines. Because these every... We haven't said this yet, but these characters are very, very 90s. 90s. Well, yeah, like Josh wanted to go see that Jane's Addiction concert. He wanted to get yeah. out of the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, the, the, the characters are 90s because the actors are 90s, right. I guess. But, but we get a lot of like that kind of grungy, like flannel and jeans look. Yeah, they're all thing. dressed the same. They're literally all wearing the same outfit. Classic 90s beanies. Exactly. Yeah, they're wearing beanies, plaid shirt, blue jeans. Every single one of them. But, I mean, it also makes sense. I mean, they're going hiking. I have waterproof hiking trousers myself, you know. But, yeah, I don't, I don't wear jeans hiking. Here's a quote that I like. They go back to the rock area. Or, no, no, no. So, they're at the rock area. And then they get a shot of it on the 16. Yes. It opens with Mike saying, uh, here we are back at the rock again. Rock thing. Cemetery deal. And then they start shooting it. Just thought that was funny. Right. A little funny. So little Blair Witch Project is, is your is your quotable movie. It's it's your Turner and Hooch, because Turner and Hooch for me, for whatever reason, <laughs> is the most quotable movie ever. No That's one right. remembers Turner and Hooch. I don't care. I think it's a masterpiece. I, I love Turner. It's one Turner of the best comedies ever made. It's it's amazing. What? What? Are you if you're hungry, finish the hamburgers. You eat the buns. Mm. Eat the buns. You're not thirsty. You don't, you're not touching the water, the orange juice, crab What is the matter I supposed to do? Make you a margarita? Maybe my favorite Tom Hanks movie. Yeah, I think it's mine, too, which is insane. It, it's it is insane, insane, but, but I, I think it movie. is mine. But yeah, so like the first night happens, and nothing crazy happens. They just hear some noises. 
and Josh thinks it's hillbillies trying to scare them, mm-hmm. or at least. Oh, he, so so he, this is the this is the second night then, right? Or yeah, and he like he posits that it's hillbillies. Also, we got to talk about the sound design. How freaking subtle it is because they they're they're doing this like, oh, do you hear that? Do you hear that? And you have to really try to hear, right? It's amazing, especially on that third or fourth night where sh- where I think it's the fourth night where shit like really goes down. Yes, like like it builds in a very good way what they were actually doing that noise they were hearing is like probably one of the more popular trivia things it's the directors and the production designers and whomever was working on the movie and they're just taking sticks and hitting trees with the sticks Mm -hmm. and i guess it makes an echoey clanging kind of sound the actors didn't actually know what was happening right no they didn't know anything i mean they knew eventually especially that things were going to happen at night but they were like actually sleeping they were actually woken up and yeah, like I mean, they would let them sleep for like three or four hours, and then do something and, like and that. And of course, know? it's worth noting that the actors are actually running the camera. That was actually right, something that they had to they had to find actors that knew what the hell they were doing. They couldn't just hire anybody. And that's the thing too is like they're you know the two credited directors of this movie, but like the actors might as well have directed. Yeah, this movie they're just they're as much the as they it's did. it's like in uh, the movie Roar how the lions are granted co writing credits because. Right. Uh, because they improvise. <laughs> it's very exactly. much like that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the writers should, or the actors should get writing and directing credits, honestly. I agree. But yeah, like I was saying earlier, I think Heather's like insistence to film everything is a really interesting aspect to the film. I think gets like some poignant lines out of the movie later. Sure. Was that, now I would imagine that came from Miracle Sanchez. Like they're like I we have don't no have idea. a movie if you if you don't film everything. Well, right? right. I mean, but I think okay, so like I think they use that plot device well cuz also okay. so often in found footage movies, why is the person Why are they filming? Filming. Why are they filming? Yeah. I think it's an interesting thing and it's something that is acknowledged in the movie mm-hmm. that Heather is like it's turning all I have their left. tragedy. It's all I fucking have left. Right. She's turning the tragedy into like a movie. You know, mm-hmm. I just think that's a really interesting thing that they do. They could have gotten to a point where, like, no, I'm filming because we're not going to make it out here. And if someone finds us, I want to know what they I think they should. They never really be, be like people can find it. But I guess they don't. They're not. Most of the movie, they just think they're lost. Right. They, they don't. I mean, especially by this point. But also, I do think in part, like. Heather had that in mind, and I, I I don't know if there's a specific line to it, but I feel like it's alluded to, especially towards the end, like that that's why she's filming. Especially the scenes where like towards the end where shit's getting really dire, and it's just her and Mike. She'll just like set the camera down and just like go do something, or like she'll be filming like when something she absolutely should not be filming is happening, like with the bloody stuff. But I'll get to that. Anyhow, I I do think it's really interesting. Uh, how they worked that in. I think that's a it's a good theme. It, it makes Heather like a well-rounded character, even though she's just like a, really just a person improvising, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like not too much happened. Like again, this day is mostly spent just wandering. Because by this point, I mean, this is like what, the third day? So by this point, they know that they're lost. They are consulting a map, but it's also pretty clear right. at this point that it's not nearly as well scouted out as Heather thought it was, or at least said it was. And also... I think people pile on Heather a lot, even like in retrospect. And yeah. I understand well, oh, why, you mean, like people talking about the movie, or right? Or you mean, uh, okay. Yes, because I, because I mean, I think you understand why Josh and Mike would be mad that she's like seemingly just leading them into nowhere mm-hmm. and like keeps getting them more and more lost. But I think in retrospect, like 
obviously there's like a paranormal thing going on then they're walking in circles and it's at like i think eventually you have to realize it's not heather's fault that they're walking in circles you know yeah well i i still think that's a little debatable the paranormal aspect of it even if we acknowledge that there is paranormal activity afoot that doesn't necessarily explain the them being lost it explains some other things well but it does because a big thing about it is that she had a compass and was going in a direction. Oh, sure. Okay, yeah. And then yeah. they ended up in the same spot. Okay, that's you know? right. Yeah, they... Well, well... See, I think that was the whole point you know, of that's, that one scene. No, I, I know the scene you're talking about, but also... Yeah. The other two are the first to point out that's the same log, right? That's the same yes. log. We already crossed that. And she eventually breaks down... You know, we, right. we we don't... We barely see Heather in this movie, but she's behind the camera. But she breaks down, acknowledges it's the same log... Right. Is it? I mean, I think it was. It looked like the same. I, I, mean, I, you, I think it I was. I personally but think it, like, just based off of the footage, I think it was the exact same one. Because, I mean, it's... The, I, they I, think, I think it was, but I'm just saying in the context of the movie, you're three people, you're lost in the woods, a log might look the same as another log. But I, I, I I'm sure it is the same log within the movie, but okay. I just, I'm just think, I'm just I just think it's too recognizable. Because it's, it's not even really a log, it's like a big tree... And it's like a a very, I know, but it's like, it's a big, you know, it's like a huge downed tree. Sure, but it's also not the first one of those things that they cross in the movie. Yeah, but the other ones are like little logs. Like, I mean, this is like a big specific looking tree and it's by a specific creek. You know Okay. I mean, see, I don't even think necessarily that I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm just saying. I'm not, I'm just saying. I I think the film does revel in this ambiguity i just think that i can tell that it's the same log so i feel like they would be able to tell okay i don't know sure just because it's also at like a fork in the creek like there's like a curve in the creek i mean and then that's where the tree yeah creeks famously always go straight hey at this point i'm doing devil's advocate i I I can tell sure i mean it's specific it's it's very specific and and we see like a long shot of them crossing it earlier so by the time we go back I think you. I think it's recognizable. By the way, point is, you know. Also, they acknowledge that the creek's not that long, and the area's not that big that they're lost in. Yes, yes, and but also like the the area not being that big could be just a massive fuck up on their part, though. Maybe the area is just way bigger than they thought it was. That I think that is it could explainable. be. But they acknowledge that they walk the length of the creek and end up where they were initially. Sure. You know what I mean? Listen, do they how, do they even know how to read a map? Okay, we have that well, we famous, don't know. We don't know. famous scene earlier where they're, you know, they're miles and kilometers. They're getting those, not necessarily mixed up, but they're, you know, which do we right. use? Like, because Josh uses kilometers, and she's like, well, we're in America, we're not miles. Maybe they got a Canadian map. I guess the assumption is that Heather would be the only one who can, and that's why she's sure, fucking them sure, over yeah. by not getting them to the right spot. But my point is, like, if they're going north all day or going south whatever it was for multiple days and they end up in the same spot then clearly like something else is happening you know i think that's the implication i think it's all implication i i agree it's it's certainly an implication i'm just saying i don't know how evil demonic witchcraft works in 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 a reality in which that stuff exists does it make you get lost 
Uh, maybe. Well, it's not I, It's not established that it does. I'm not saying it needs to be established that it does. If a movie revels in the realism like that it does, it probably shouldn't establish that that's what happens. I'm just saying, you know. Uh, well, I will say that a part of the Blair Witch legend is that you lose time and you lose things like 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 that. So maybe like direction is a part of it. Okay. I will say also completely irrelevant since this is a 2016 movie that is not. Sure. You know, the, the, the Adam Wingard movie. Yeah, that, that obviously is a whole nother, but that plays into it. I've never seen it, but I think there's like a time loop or something in that movie. There's, there? there's a time loop and like they acknowledge that like direction gets okay muddy, you know. So I think it's a, a thing. But yeah, it's I mean, the beauty of this movie is everything's implied. You There's yes, nothing that's ever yes. stated. That's that's I love that we're arguing about stupid shit like this because it means the yeah. movie like because of the majority of the movie. Is this supernatural? Like, there are points in the movie, and, and I don't think the ending quite can be explained by this. I think maybe. It's, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I would have to really do a thought experiment on this. But a lot of the movie, especially at, at in the beginning, first night, Josh is the only one that hears anything. He tells them about it. Yeah. You can go much of this movie thinking Josh is the one fucking with them. Absolutely. It, are you just coming up with that right now? Well, I've thought about it, you know, in the past when I've watched this movie, but is well, that a thing in one of the documentaries yes, or one of the movies? You, no, 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 it's not, but you've just stumbled across, like, the biggest fan theory. But the, the actual theory is that Josh and Mike are, like, working together to, like, kill Heather or, like, torture her or something. Okay. Um, which, I mean, is crazy, and, you know, obviously... I was tempted to say Josh goes crazy, except... If he hears it the first night, he hasn't gone crazy yet. It makes right. more sense if he goes crazy the longer they're lost. The only thing about it is, like, Josh can't have made those noises. Yes, yes, that's With the true. children, and just with the noises from in the distance, you know, he because could have He could have put the rocks in front of the tent. He, I mean, he could have done, done, done that. Mike could have done that. He could have done that. Heather could have yeah. done that, you know. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's mainly supported by the end of the movie where you hear Josh in the distance... And then, you know, them in the house and whatnot. But at, at this point, we're at the third night. And uh, this is where they they start hearing the the sounds, like, clearly, the distant sounds. But, yeah, so that that's when they got uh, the shot of Mike, like, just looking scared. And, like, uh, film, recording the sound. And, like, Heather's, like, making him record the sound, but he doesn't want to. I think, really, a, a reason why people hate on heather about getting lost and stuff is because she's very insistent that she knows where they are yeah like, even by the third day when they're like clearly lost she's still like no no no. we're just we had to hit the most direct location to get to the the spot now we gotta hit them the most direct way back you know and i thought it was men that never asked for direction <laughs> very good there you go but yeah so after the third night is when they lose the map well, and this is also when they find the rocks outside the tent. That was when they have the, the three piles of rocks. Because they do pack things up in a hurry. So it right. is kind of believable that they would have forgotten the map. We found out later it's, it wasn't forgotten. but You know, they're even questioning, like, are we sure that those rocks weren't there? And she's like, there's three piles of rocks and the tent is directly in right the middle next of it. it yeah. Like, we would have noticed. Again, going back to we never understood or we never got confirmation what the rocks were when you first see him i think they, they count there's like seven piles of yes them, right and there were seven right. dead children so like okay are these some kind of grave thing or like what what is this now that we see it outside the tent i'm thinking it's like oh this is marking that these people are going to die right right 
Yes, I, very, very, yeah. very possibly. That's like I guess how that the first thing they notice after that night. And th- by this point, like this is the day when they start getting pissed off with each other, like for real. But the other two days, like Mike is getting frustrated, and you know he says like, you know, I gotta say, I don't really trust you. Yeah, he's like, he, and he's only mad at Heather too. It's right. not like uh, there's, but by there's this day, not, no. they're like pissed. You know, all everyone's upset with each other. Well, and, and it's pretty much you, you lost the map too. You know, right? And more. then yes, exactly. And then uh, this is a, a good line when uh, Heather says like, "It's hard to get lost in America, and it's even harder to stay yes. lost." And then Mike says, "Well, we're doing a pretty goddamn good job yeah. of being lost." Yeah, there, there's a few t- early earlier in the movie they say something about like you can't get lost in America or something, and it's like, and then, um, well, this is the first time that she says it again later. And oh, then they start okay. singing the Star Spangled Banner. We mentioned the kind of the pretentious film film school people, but this is like a the naivete. Yeah, I was of, gonna say of, like the naivete of the American, of, which which right. um, captured. I don't want to say beautifully, but it's captured in a lot of those Amazon cannibal movies, um, the Green Inferno, Eli Roth, um, Hostel, Hostel, like yeah. these happy go lucky Americans, also Eli Roth. You know, going to like, oh, yeah, you know, nothing, no harm can come of us. We're Americans. And then, boom, you're in Serbia or whatever, and you're food for Ruggiero Deodato. But I also think, like, it might just be a hopeful optimism, you know? Yes, yes. Or, like, also just a facade for the other two people sure. that are there. But, again, that, that like, America, America stuff, though, that's definitely... If it's completely improvised by improvised by Heather Donahue, there, there seems like there's something there's a point to it i will say like i understand why people rag on on heather she says a lot of stuff that's like kind of roll your eyes at it you know because it was also like if you're putting yourself in the situation it it would be very frustrating and especially when you're trying to like get out of there and you're trying to focus and just like find your way out and she's just filming everything and filming you getting mad and filming you yes, crying that would be and filming every single thing. No respect for boundaries, absolutely. Right. But anyway, so this is when they're wandering and they I guess they're like jumping over the creek and Heather gets her legs wet and they all start laughing at her and she gets really mad. So then they just start like getting hysterical and like hysterically laughing mm-hmm. and Mike in his hysteria sort of laughs while admitting that he kicked the map into the lake. Great, yeah. I'm sorry, it's fucked up. It's fucked up, but I, I kicked that fucking map into the creek yesterday. It was useless. I kicked that fucker into the creek. I fucking hope he's kidding. Wow! Mike? Holy shit! I really fucking hope he's kidding. kidding? Then it leads to, like, the most violent outburst (laughs) in the entire movie. Josh goes up and, like, starts tugging him and, like, knocking, like, trying to knock him over. And Heather screams so loud that it, like, cuts the audio. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah, it clips the audio, yeah. In fact, maybe that's why they used Mike's audio at the end. Maybe Heather's audio was unusable. I don't know. Just an idea. Interesting. That causes the big rift. As it should. I mean, that's, like, really a crazy thing. Like, a weird, crazy, like, twist as far as twists go in this movie. And and to be fair to Mike, I mean, Mike, complete asshole move, of course, but his reasoning is it wasn't doing us any good. Heather, you didn't know what the hell you were doing. And that, you kind of understand it. You still don't necessarily yeah. know why he threw a map away, but you sort of get it. I mean, think about it. This is, like, the fourth day. 
Yeah, exactly. They should be so, well like, back to the car by now. Oh, I uh, just thought of this, by the way. You know, speaking of, you know, we talked about the Blair Witch parodies and recreations earlier. How do we not bring up the Psych episode yet? The, the, the Sasquatch episode? episode? Yeah, the Bigfoot, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where Gus thinks they're going to a hidden barbecue restaurant called the Sassy Quatch. Great I honestly, <laughs> I honestly never even considered that as a Blair Witch. They recreate the famous scene with Heather in the beanie into the camera with Lassiter. If you're going to do a found footage parody, you got to do that. Yeah. That's classic. Yeah, that episode's weird. What is that, like season six That's the last season. That's that's one of the best that's episodes the last, last season, season, I think. That's yeah, fucking crazy. Not a great season, but there's a few yeah, quality no. episodes in there. I just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. I am so, so sorry because it is my fault because it was my project. So after, yeah, after Mike does this with the map and that all comes out and everything, like everyone's pissed, that's when they find the stick figures, which by this point, Everyone's pissed at Heather for still filming and filming everything, but they're all like in awe. Yeah, they, of they the actually they bust out the the actual film camera for the first Which time. Which you in have a long to think time. like yeah, like fourth day. They're like so over this, but even they're like like we gotta film this, you know. But yeah, they they were supposed to find that like on the second day or first day or something, and they ended up finding it like way later. So basically, what they would do is the directors and whomever would set a bunch of stuff up, and then yeah, would tell them to go like northeast or something. And I guess they just somehow missed it. I mean, if and if the woods are, I don't know. I guess they'd have to be bigger than they say. But like, I mean, I guess it makes sense that they wouldn't stumble across it. I mean, it's dense woods, you know. But Mm -hmm. it's cool that they eventually found it. But they found it like way out of order. Like they weren't by that point, they weren't even supposed to come across it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's an interesting time for them to marvel at the stick figures because at that point they really just want to get the hell out of there goes to show how unsettling and how weird and unnatural those right. things are though that's I mean, the thing that... like there were so many perfect accidents for this movie like with the mm-hmm. improv and everything like that just that was honestly the perfect time for them to come across it you know do you have a theory as to what these things are i know that it's supposed to be like a witch figure of some yeah, just, kind okay it's yeah but, but is, does it mark the witch's territory or something i don't you know, know the rocks and the stick figures is like i i never like overthought it because okay it's just the, like it's the like rocks a, I, the rocks i, I think know. are well, what i was saying it's relatively easy enough to put together a compelling enough explanation that oh, yeah the rocks and, and especially since she like counts it specifically yes too. exactly yeah i don't know i never really thought about it like to an extent of like forming a a definite hypothesis other than like yeah it could be the the witch marking your territory there's like a dream catcher kind of quality to them is is that something someone years ago decades ago built to repel a witch you know i mean we don't know it could possibly be. it could also be like we know that there's the only house in the woods is rustin parr's house mm-hmm. he could have made those you know in his crazed state he could have made those and put them sure. out there and then also, it could also support the theory that there's nothing paranormal happening and they're just getting fucked with by random people yeah. in the woods, hillbillies, whomever. Rust and power disciples. Yeah, just or or just like literally just people who live there who want to fuck right. with some random Yeah, because, it, well, and I, and I also, I brought that up, the rust and power thing, because we haven't discussed this, but there is a very strong possibility rust and power was just crazy. And there was rust and power had nothing to do with the Blair Witch. 
Oh yeah, based, well, based I, on what I, we know in the movie, that's it. Almost seems like it's unrelated. Exactly. I mean, he he could have been crazy and just like there's the legend, and he lives in the place where the legend is prevalent. Obviously, him just being a serial killer murdering these kids has nothing to do with the actual witch, you know. Unless the witch made him do it, which is the right. legend. But yeah, and you'll there's actually like footage of him in the Curse of Blair Witch. Now, who is the more compelling? Hillbilly, lonesome weirdo, Rustin Parr or Travis Crabtree? Hmm. Does Rustin really... Parr get his own theme song? No, he doesn't. That, okay, that's there the we thing. go. That's, really... that's settled. Travis Crabtree, you forever yeah. the goat. Wait a minute for me. Let's go back in the bottom. Where the fish are biting, where all the world's inviting, and nobody sees the flowers bloom but me. We are, of course, talking about Legend The Legend of Boggy, Boggy Creek. Creek. It's a weird movie. It's honestly kind of boring, but. Yeah, but it, it's listed as an influence on this movie, which is kind of why I brought it up. Yeah, I do think, yeah, people like kind of give like Blair Witch the props for inventing found footage, but it didn't, you know. Well, Boggy Creek isn't found footage. It's presented as a full-on documentary. There's nothing right. like, oh, this is lost footage that we find. There's nothing that. It's just, yeah. it's a film that's lying to you about what's true and what's not, but it's yeah. not pretending to be anything other than a documentary, basically, but yeah. Yeah, I think that definitely influenced the idea of them making this movie based on like the mythology but without explaining okay, sure. it, you know, to me, I could see that connection. I don't know if that's exactly what it is, but... Well, and of course, Jaws is listed as an influence, mainly because Jaws, you don't see the shark for most of the movie. This right. movie, you don't see a goddamn thing. Right. Well, there's one scene where you're supposed to, as I'm sure you know. I don't think I do. Oh, you don't know? Oh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. It's probably coming up. So yeah, then the fourth night uh, happens. After they find the stick figures, yeah, there's more wandering, more bickering. They decide to camp again even though like this is the night where they're definitely like we cannot camp right now like this is terrible like we can't go another night out here but nevertheless they have to and uh this is when the shit goes down basically this is when they hear the little kids and then like all the hands start pressing against the tent Mm -hmm. which is like the most obviously like terrifying part of the movie and this is the part where they just go running this to me is the most why is the camera on moment of the movie i think for it's for the for light because they're both pointing it at the ground but yeah that's right that's true but anyhow what was supposed to happen here is there was a guy i think it was a guy who was in like a white sheet of some kind off camera Mm -hmm. who uh they were supposed to see that's why heather yells what the fuck is that what the fuck is that oh it's interesting that there's actually something there okay there's something there that she saw and they ended but up But they being, never get the camera on it. Right. Well they they do but you can't see it. Like it doesn't show up cuz he's just like far enough away that the light oh, doesn't pick it up. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so the directors were actually like happy that they ended up not getting it cuz they kind of rushed it together and it's, you know, not like if it had gotten clearly on camera it probably wouldn't have looked that scary. It's interesting though that the 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 what the fuck is that? I mean, again, we're talking about how great these actors are. Yeah. But that this is all improv. Right. I don't know how you fake that reaction if you know it's just a guy, a member of the crew. 
it's so amazing. What Heather Donahue, shout out to her. That's true, but you also like, yeah. I mean, I, I doubt they could. She could tell who it was or anything. Well, sure, but she knows. I think you can tap into that emotion. Like if you're in the middle of the woods and it's nighttime, and you're not comfortable, yeah. and then Listen, you're hearing I, I, these I, I noises. Mean, yeah, I'm just I'm, saying, I'm just, like, I guess I'm just saying it's it. it's amazing. I, it I, is amazing. I'm not I saying agree. it's like impossible. I and I agree. But it's it's amazing how authentic that feels when deep down she has to know it's just you know maybe some of the things are probably a bit like some of the noises and stuff are probably a bit more like when they're when they're not full on acting like freaked out when they're more just like oh what what is that like that yeah that seems very easy to just genuinely that's just genuine curiosity right but when you have to go All to eleven. Yeah, that has to be hard to do, because yeah, deep mean, down I mean, you know. I mean, at this point, I'm assuming she doesn't think it's a snuff film, Heather Donahue. <laughs> yes, yes, and uh, yeah, no, but you're totally right. And I will say, like that has an effect on Heather Donahue, the actor, which I'll get to later. Yeah, I, you might have read about that too. Well, I I haven't, but I can. Is it a Shelley Duvall kind of situation? No, 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 no. It's not like that. It's not like that. Okay. At the end of filming the last scene, she like cried for like 15 minutes straight like like she was inconsolable for like 15 minutes without being able to do like anything because it was just like so it was just so much you know to film that last scene in the house and everything and when they finally like had cut and everything was done it was just like i guess it was a lot yeah so she was definitely tapped into like an actual fear she i mean she carried so much of this movie you know back to what i mentioned earlier she's the lead character for lack of a better term yeah she's not on camera all that often yeah it's more than a vocal performance because she is running the camera but it's 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 a different kind of performance really than any like right you know it's not like you can't talk about it the way you talk about other traditional acting performances i guess no it's amazing because she has you're right the movie really does ride on her in a lot of ways think of all the great actors dennis hopper for example in blue velvet like incredible incredible actor incredible character if that actor and was doing that character in a found footage movie oh and it was yeah it it would it would yeah it would be cheesy and terrible you know what i mean there's a very like naturalist yeah you need you need a michael rooker You need, right. you need, you know, Michael Rooker and um, uh, Henry Portrait of Serial. Like, there's just a certain right. type of performance that yeah works better than that might yeah, not be it's as theatrical, but it's it's yeah. that naturalistic style that they were they just nailed. I mean, this was one of the first things probably all of them did, mm-hmm. you know. So it's it's, yeah, it's before the Shaggy Dog, that's for sure. So yeah, so after they run away and all that, and they allegedly see the witch, but you know never really acknowledge that it was definitely the witch or anything. They wait in the middle of the woods. They turn the lights off on the cameras and they just wait in the middle of the woods with no tent or anything for Mm -hmm. the rest of the night. And then in the morning they go back to their tent and all of Josh's stuff is either stolen or covered with like a weird slime, which yes, (laughs) they don't explain like what that is. You also don't really see it. No, you just see that it looks like kind of wet. Yeah, you can't really tell. But yeah, so Heather like tries to figure out why Josh's stuff was taken specifically, but he doesn't care. He just wants to leave. You know, he's just like, "Are you not scared enough?" and all that. Like, can we just leave? This is the day where they are delirious. 
Like just straight up. It's straight up Eddie Murphy. No, this is one of the great scenes uh, where Josh has the camera and is filming Heather. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says the thing, he says, I see why you like this yeah. video camera so much because it's not quite reality. Yeah, it was a, it's a good line. Sure. Plays into the whole Heather just trying to turn tragedy into a film sort of thing. Yeah, and then this is when they come across the same tree, which you posit might be a different tree. Maybe eh, it just is. throwing it it's, out it's, there. It's, I mean, it's I, possible. I think, are they possible. delirious enough that they are? Yeah, but I, but I I'm not it's... delirious watching it. And I, I I think it looks the same. But there's a couple possibilities. There's a possibility that it, it is exactly as it's presented in the film that it's the same log. It's also yeah. a possibility that in the context of the movie, it's not supposed to be the same log, but it is the same log because they just shot it at the same spot because the actors missed their mark or something. You know? Sure. I mean, there's there's a million possibilities. With a really, really low-budget movie like that, there's plenty of explanations, I think. And with a really low budget like this that is intent on not explaining things, on the surface-level reading of it, they're realizing that they've been going in circles for days, which they've already realized that they've been not... Like, they can't figure out where they are. But this is, like, the point where they realize that after, what, five days, they ended up in the same spot. This is the part where uh, where Josh starts filming Heather talking about how all she wants to do is make movies and whatnot, and uh, you know she starts crying stuff. And he says uh, he says another good quote: "I want to make movies, Heather. Ain't that what we're here to do?" Yeah. And then he accuses Heather of turning their tragedy into a movie. And then the famous line: "You gonna write us a happy ending, Heather?" And then the next night, nothing seems to happen. They don't really film anything that night. But then the next morning, Josh is gone. Mm-hmm. Like, if they were delirious the day before, now they're, like, exhausted delirious. Like, they're, like, this whole day, Mike and Heather are just, like, breathlessly, hardly saying anything to each other. Mostly all they're saying is Josh. They're just yelling at him. Well, they do that for a while. But then event- yeah. after that dies down, yeah. then they're just, like, wandering and hardly saying anything. They have anything. that nice scene uh, where... They're just again. They just sets the camera down, and the two of them are they're just in front like of the camera. Yeah, like and that to me feels very real. Like these right. people just acknowledge, like they don't really know each other. They don't like each other. They are just absolutely fucked, and they don't know what to do. Then they're they like kind of breath. Like I said, like breathlessly, or like. So I guess uh, South didn't work. So you want to go east? east? Yeah, and yeah. then uh, he's uh, Mike says. Which was the bad witch, the wicked witch of the east or the wicked yeah. witch of the west? And then it's they're decided. both bad. It's just one yeah. dies earlier. Come on. Yeah, basically. <laughs> the wicked is in the name. But either way, they decide to go east based on that. But yeah, very little is accomplished that day. We we really see like that's the probably the quickest day that goes by. They just don't show anything. There's nothing to show. But then that night, they hear Josh from afar. They hear his screams. You know. Which, this is a, especially where it starts becoming possible, what you were saying about Josh just messing with them. Yeah, I really don't, I really don't think that holds up much, because I was no. kind of going back to he was the one the first night who claims he heard something, even if we ignore the fact that a lot of those sounds came from the distance when they actually all hear them. Yeah, no, I mean, Josh I don't wouldn't think... have had a reason to be, he's not crazy when they first go on them. So even yeah. if he went crazy during the thing, it doesn't explain that. So yeah. yeah, like the Josh Mike being crazy, or not being crazy, but like luring Heather into the woods and like all this stuff. It's like, 
yeah, I never, I never got. Yeah, it's a bit much. But it's, it's, you know, why not? Is this the famous beanie scene? No, not yet. So there's a whole nother day. This is like the last day. Okay, sure, yeah. Because that morning is the day when they find like stick bundle of sticks thing with the with shirt blood. Right. Well, they don't notice the blood at first, and and so Heather Heather sees it and like hides it from Mike weirdly, you know, and like doesn't tell Mike about it. I think this is the day where they they do the cuddle scene, and (laughs) it's just where shit gets really just dark. They're sad, and it's weird because like Heather takes the bundle of sticks and like throws it and like doesn't open it up, and then like a few scenes or a few shots pass by, and then she opens it, which I thought was weird. But yeah, and then she finds all Josh's blood in there. Not all of it, but you know, Josh's blood and and what looks like guts and stuff in there. Yeah, I was gonna say there's some like a pink thing or something. Yeah, it's not like a, blood. a brain it's... or something. You can't really tell. Yeah, ear. Who knows? That's like one of the more intense like scream moments. And then she just washes her hands and like doesn't mention it to Mike. And then they're pretty much silent that whole day. And then, and it's funny because there's the shot of Mike eating the leaf, which I remember so well. It hard cuts from that scene to the scene you're talking about of Heather giving the monologue, mm-hmm. and, and uh, it's crazy Carlton because Lassiter scene. And it's crazy because when you first see that shot of Heather, like that's the shot from the cover, you know, that's the yeah, the poster, yeah. Everyone recognizes it. It's crazy when it. You're just like in the movie, and he's just like eating a leaf, and then you hard cut to like what it the just poster happens, of the yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. Other than other than perhaps the very end, this is the most famous scene of the movie. Yes, and and what's interesting about this, they were prepping the house for the film, and they were they were still prepping stuff, and Heather just like at this point, like they had already been out of the woods a couple days and stuff, because this was filmed in an entirely different wooded area. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. So that they were, you know, the actors were there, but they weren't like doing anything yet. And they were prepping the house and Heather just took the camera and went into one of the tents outside and just filmed that. And it, you know, ended up being the most iconic scene from the movie and one of the best monologues probably in film history, you know. Sure. And then as soon as she finish, finishes the monologue, that's when they discover the house, the par house. A fun fact: It's not there anymore. They demolished it like pretty soon after that. Movie. I was I was going to ask. I mean, I'm, I don't care if it's not there or not anymore. But I was going to ask, like, what was this beforehand? Was this anything? Is this, this isn't completely a set? Like from the I mean, it just looks a like a house. I don't know what else it yeah. could be. There's like some historic mill in the national or in the state park that some of this was filmed at. I'm like, I don't mm-hmm. think that's the building, but like, you know, it might add something to do with something like that. I don't know. Like, I there don't... was a like some kind of mill in this area, and maybe this was like a house of someone who worked there. I don't know. I I know that they they looked at like eight or so different like dilapidated houses okay. to film this part in. And they, like, didn't like any of them. And they found that one. They, like, stumbled across it and, like, like somehow, you know, got location rights or something to it. Or maybe they didn't. Or maybe Are they you sure didn't. they did? Yeah. I I'm, mean, not, I'm not sure. The movie did. like this, yeah. And also, I mean, it's a dilapidated house. Like, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Well, who do you, you need to get, get the rights with? from? The bank? Either way, they, they filmed it. And, and it's what's interesting is that this house got demolished, like, almost immediately because... I don't know if they filmed this in the same location, but in the sequel, The Book of Shadows, yeah, which came out the next year, it came out in 2000. Yeah. 
rushed into production. The characters of that movie go to the remains of the Parr house, which is demolished. Like they oh, go to so so it's demolished even in like immediate universe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But then also it was the next year that after the movie came out, but Blair Witch was filmed in like yeah four or five years. Yeah. Maybe whatever. So the so film. there's time for it to have gotten demolished. Also, hang on, hang on. Circling back to you said it was filmed maybe 95 96 we don't really know but a few years before it came out mm-hmm. was the last broadcast truly an influence because the last broadcast came out in 98 i think right i yeah i think i think the last broadcast doesn't have shit to do with this movie i think it's i i just know that the director said that they, maybe maybe i'm wrong about it being filmed earlier then i just yeah, thought it was we're we're wrong about something i think whether it's the year of the last broadcast or whatever yeah the last broadcast was was 98 i just looked it up no, it says that it was filmed in 97, The Blair Witch Project. So Merrick and Sanchez just lied about the last broadcast? Or, or did the last broadcast know. impact its advertising or its editing? I don't know. I don't know. I never even thought about we that. We need another Blair Witch documentary to sort all this out. Yeah, and they filmed the last broadcast in 98. Well, I, I would I would feel bad for that film if it took more than a year to, to finish with that <laughs> end result. That needs to be explored. I want an answer to that. But anyhow, they reached the Par House. Uh, fun little, not really a fact, because it's more of just a nonsense observation. But on the left side of the house door, there are some sticks that appear to be arranged in the Dead Kennedys logo. Is that, is that completely coincidental, or is that crazy lady from town a Dead Kennedys fan? I never looked it up, but okay. she might be. <laughs> but so they go in the house. It's in obvious disrepair children's bloody handprints on the walls and whatnot and they uh, hear josh's voice more you know and so they're running around and then they start cutting between the cameras like i said earlier but they're using the same audio so it's kind of disorienting so mm-hmm. you see heather's point of view for most of the last part of this movie but you hear mike's audio so like you see heather upstairs while mike goes down into the basement yeah. And you hear him like, Josh! I hear him downstairs. Come on! I hear him downstairs! Come on! Josh! He clearly sees or hears something down there. And when he his camera gets knocked over, you hear Heather screaming super loudly, but it sounds distant. And anyway, if you've seen the uh, all the different alternate endings you'll you'll be very familiar with the last couple lines of this movie because it's they use the same shots and then they show the alternate ending and so when you click on any of the like eight alternate endings as soon as you hit play you just hear mike going i hear him downstairs and then he just runs full speed down the stairs and you just hear the same line over and over but anyhow so yeah and then of course most famous part of this movie heather goes downstairs and sees mike just standing in the corner and then her camera gets knocked over too, and she presumably dies, or and that's how it ends. the The alternate endings are basically so. I think what happened was they were trying to sell this to a studio. They loved the ending, but the studio wanted something more, something like, different, yeah, dramatic. Yeah, and oh yeah, because so, the ending is so it it's understated for sure, and it's also because you re- it really the ending doesn't make sense unless you were paying attention earlier. When the guy, I mean, offhandedly yes. mentioned the thing yes. about the kids. 
Like it literally, you could, it's a blink and you miss it. Like, like you, or you might not have even been paying attention to that part. You might've just forgotten about it at that. Because at that point you don't know what the movie is. Right. And so like, it's very possible. And I would say even likely that you'll watch this movie, completely forget about that line. And then that happens at the end and you're like, why was he in the corner? I don't understand. You know? Yeah. I think, I think when I first saw this movie, I didn't remember the line. It still was incredibly right. creepy. Yeah, of course. There was still something really creepy about it. I, I think the ending still really worked, but yeah, definitely. And I will say, I really admire this film for not doing any hand-holding. Yes, of course. Never tells you what's important. It never tells you exactly what this this thing means, what that thing means. Part of me, maybe a small part of me, wishes it did a bit more. I, I'm not saying I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to change this movie, but... Part of me would want to see, like, a, and maybe this is what the 2016 movie is. I don't know. But part of me would want to see this story, because I think the lore is kind of interesting, presented in a more traditional way. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what the 2016 one is. Maybe even the filmmakers wanted to do that, and they didn't have the money to do it. I don't really know. Yeah. There's enough interesting stuff in the little bits about the lore that I do know, whether it's from watching this movie or from... The wiki dive that I went on the other night. Part of me wants to see uh, uh, this story, even if it's going to be bad or underwhelming. I want. I, I part of me would want to see it presented in a different style. Yeah, and, and just I mean, see what you know a little bit more clarity. I love that we don't have that, but yeah, I don't. And I, I don't still know. Think part you of me will. wants some clarity. Yeah, I mean Blair Witch, the twenty sixteen movie, is a way more conventional movie for sure. Yeah. And just a is it even found footage? Twenty sixteen. It is. It is. Okay. But it's like I guess. I guess you have you know. to. That's what Blair Witch is. It is the right. But Book of Shadows movie. isn't. You know. Well, I know. Yeah, I know. But that's the weirdo. Yeah. It's 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 like it's like if you make an Exorcist movie, there has to be an exorcism. Okay. What look at Exorcist right. three? There almost wasn't one, but they still had to put it in there because it can't be an Exorcist movie right. without an exorcism. But it's the thing it's with Blair like Witch with, with Book of footage. Shadows, like people hate on it, but I'm. I'm really glad that they didn't do another found footage movie, especially one that they shit together so quickly, you know, I don't know. Cause that's my, one of the things I really don't like about the 2016 one is like, these are clearly actors. They're all like okay. good looking people and they are all yeah. like, they give a lot of exposition and obvious and a lot of paranormal things happens in it. That's like uh, overt, you know, but I mean like it's, if you're into like just a completely different thing, as far as the storytelling goes, then it's it could be cool. I can't mm-hmm. get into it. But anyhow, the difference between the ending they shot and the difference between that and the alternate endings is that the ending they shot could happen. The alternate endings are all like kind of crazy. All the endings are the same thing. They're all Heather going into the basement and finding Mike. But okay. instead of him being in the corner, it's him crucified or it's him floating or it's him oh. stuff, stuff like that. But I think like the filmmakers wanted it to be like you could watch this movie and think this definitely could have happened. Yeah. Or or even that this definitely did happen at the time. You know, people thought. That. Yeah. I think the studio probably wanted like a wow ending. Well, sure. And especially going back to I, I mentioned earlier, all found footage movies end the same. They all end ambiguously. Someone drops a camera or something. Right. In most of those found footage movies, the you know the hack ones, 
it ends with like a demon coming at the camera, yeah. or a monster, and making you making a loud. Almost all of them end on a loud noise. I feel like Probably. they all end with a camera drop. Even the good ones. Last Exorcist was pretty good, I think. Yeah, yeah. They just they all end in that kind of thing. But right. but this but even this is is like the extreme subtle version of that. And and it's yes. It, and it sounds like what you're saying. It wasn't mostly a budget thing. Based on the other alternate endings, if they had the capability of doing something different, you're right. But also like they didn't have the money when they were making this movie. Oh, I see. These were and all the reshoots. St- yeah, the studio made them reshoot the ending. And so all the all the reshoots are just for the the very last shot. And then okay. yeah, they didn't use any of them. Well, maybe we found what happened to the $30,000 then. I know. It, very, <laughs> maybe that's all on the last scene. It could be. <laughs> the reshoots. Yeah. Yeah, cuz they were all like an effect of some kind, like one was him floating, one was him crucified. I mean, they were all like So none of them show Josh in this scene. No, Josh never reappears. Okay. Even though Mike does see Josh. Well, based on what he says. Yeah, he thinks he sees Josh. You're right. We don't even know if he sees anything or if he just maybe hears something. You're right. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, it's unclear. Because honestly, I was paying attention to that this time because I was like, hey, you know, we can. We're hearing Mike's camera audio. So maybe we can hear something that I like just never noticed. And what I did notice is that he's, you know, he's screaming Josh. And then when he goes down there, he kind of like more curiously says like josh yeah. like like so maybe he doesn't even hear something. anything maybe he's just checking to see if he's in that room or maybe something. or maybe he sees something or maybe he hears something or any, you know there's a million ways mm-hmm. but yeah so fascinating, um, fascinating it's cool though it's a great ending obviously it's it's a perfect ending i i you know what is it about horror movies that some of them just have these amazing endings saw has a perfect ending oh of course you can complain about a lot of things in that movie that ending is not one of them right it's perfect I would put this, Blair Witch Project, and Don't Look Now. Among best endings? Can you think of a better one off the top of your head? I mean, as, as far as um, horror movies go. I would say in Ghoulies 3, it ends with a, <laughs> uh, a ghoulie's hand coming out of the toilet to crush a beer. and then Okay, and like also, as, as at least when we're recording this, folks, there is a ghoulie prop. A ghoulie puppet oh, yes. from Ghoulies 3, available on eBay. It's horribly discolored and looks weird as hell. Yeah. But if this is still out there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't bought it yet. But if this is if this is still out there when this episode is up, please tell us, listeners, if you I purchased that I should make a GoFundMe just to buy it. Yeah. I'd I would lo- donate $1.50 to that, I think. And, you know, Ghoulies 3 is one of the best Ghoulies movies, like top four. Feck, what do you think of The Blair Witch Project overall as a film, as a film experience? Like, we're getting Avatar 2 here in a, in, in a bit. I think Avatar 2 will be out by the time this episode's out. But Avatar was all about, like, oh, the film, you know, nobody talked about Avatar as a movie. They always talked about it as an experience. Yeah. And that bugged the hell out of me. This, I think, kind of is an experience, and, and yeah. it's a completely different one than Avatar, but, like, it really does... I will say, like... Can, like I was saying, you can't talk about it like you talk about other movies. It's, it's something different. I know that with this movie, I know a lot of people who re- who like it and respect it, but would never watch it ever again. That was probably my reaction when I first saw it, but I obviously eventually saw it more times. I will say this might be... It's probably, like, at least top five of my most rewatched Movie in between yet. Ghoulies 3 and 4, somewhere like that? Well, in between Ghoulies 3 and 1. What do you think of this movie? Meh. 
Yeah, it sucks, right? Yeah, it's mean, not very good. No, it's like probably my favorite movie. It's no The Devil Inside. One thing I notice is like back when I used to like care about my letterbox top top four or whatever, I noticed that like my number one favorite movie would change like every month or so. Mm-hmm. But my number two was always like Blair Witch. And I eventually okay. just decided that Blair Witch is just my favorite movie. Because it's like, you know, you know, for a long time it was like, oh, my favorite movie was Back to the Future for a long time when I was in like high school. You were in high school for a long time? Oh, explains like, a lot. incredibly long. Like at least three years. Yeah. And then like for a while, like my favorite movie was Reanimator. And then it's a classic. It's a classic. But that was also like that got me into more B movie stuff, you know. And then it was like Basket Case and Brain Damage and, and then Basket Frank and Hooker. Cases I went through all is, three. <laughs> yeah. Basket Case is my it's, it's great. favorite. It's, it's incredible. Ever. It, it's of, I think my favorite movie ever is tied between this basket case brain damage and Frankenhooker. <laughs> no ghoulies? And no. ghoulies, of course, of course. Those okay. are all tied. For, I, I realized the other day that like I just can't be picky with what I give a five star at this point. I give everything five stars now that I like. I think I drew the line at pieces. I'll give pieces a five star, and that's like the uh, everything else that I give five stars. That's the worst five star. It has to be a movie that I like genuinely think is amazing not just that i really really like turner yeah. and hooch is is a four and a half star for me just just uh see for, just for if reference. i like if i just enjoyed the movie all the way through and it i don't know especially if it's like an 80s b movie i just i just give five i can't explain my uh my no i mean reasoning. you're that's just... your well, your system's probably more normal what would you give slave girls from beyond infinity have you seen it yet i feel like i saw it a while ago right. it's it's a classic masterpiece that's that's full moon right or does it count or is an empire or something yeah it's one of those uh, band is involved well a, charles band has never made a movie under four stars um feel free to end the episode right there <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. uh how about that one puppet master that's just a, a clip show how about yeah, that one that one's whichever bad. one that is legacy of puppet master or whatever it's not as bad as the barbie and kendra movies that they've been putting out Oh, is it the Tiger King one? It's that stuff? Yeah, it's that and the Corona Zombies. Was he Corona Zombies? I couldn't remember if Corona Zombies was, was Full Moon or that, yes. um, or um, uh, Kaufman. Um, I thought that would at least be funny, but like it was, it's literally just like... Hell of the Living Dead, right? Yes, it's it's all like older movies. Like, it's like a few movies. And just Hell of the Living Dead is close to being a five star for me, by the way. It's, that's one yeah. of those. It's not quite pieces. But, it's but not the Corona Zombies version. Trust yeah, me. I've never seen. They just like put in will. fart sound effects, and they just oh, completely. God. They just like redub the whole movie to be stupid. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh no! It's it's fucking unwatchable. Some of the dialogue in that movie is so funny. Like, why would you dub it over? It's, well, because like, they just made a new movie out of the scenes. Yeah, from I know, it. I know. And they and they but... also fused it with other movies. I felt bad, like make. There's like the most creative use of the c word ever in Hell of the Living Dead. It's amazing. <laughs> it's. <laughs> I can't remember the exact line, but it's amazing. Okay, so Blair Witch Project, uh, superior or inferior to Hell of the Living Dead? A superior for me, but I like Rats Hell Night of, of Terror. Superior. I wasn't crazy about rats. Yeah, there. you don't like rats. I, I, that came up in one of your. I need. I, 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 I like I rewatch. I should I like rewatch rats. it. I should rewatch it. It's been a long time, but like I remember, it's it's it's, it's Dawn of the Dead with rats. To me, I remember enjoying fun. things about it, but being bored. Oh, hang on, 
hang on. We were talking about perfect horror endings, and I didn't bring up Rat's Night of Terror. I don't even remember the how it ends. scene where it's people in hazmat suits, they take off the goggles, and it's just rat faces. I do. Oh it makes God. no sense whatsoever. Is that not the best ending in movie history? <laughs> <laughs> So again, your your thoughts on this, on this film? We got to wrap this up. Oh yes, uh, it's great. I mean, I I feel like I, I couldn't have. I can't say anything that I I haven't already said while going through my notes. I mean, I just think every facet of this movie works. I think I personally, unlike I guess a lot of people I know, I love rewatching this movie. I I usually rewatch it every October. I'm glad that we did this because I was gonna rewatch this October. I forgot to. I just like know all the lines like by heart. I just have seen it okay. so many times. So it's great. It's just perfect. Yeah, it, it's fantastic. It, again, I I mentioned this earlier. You said you're really entertained by it. I don't find it all that entertaining. I just really find it effective. And yeah. the performances have a lot to do with that. But just overall, I, it feels so authentic. Yeah. In a way that other found footage movies I've seen haven't right. felt. Like I've, I see some found footage movies and it's like, oh, that was good. I think I would yeah. have liked it more as a non-found footage movie. And even though I, I was talking about, like, I would like to see a different version of right. this story, you know, to expand upon the lore. I don't think the movie would be better at as right. a non-found footage movie. I just think would be kind of, I'd be kind of curious to see that. Maybe all I need to do is see Curse of the Blair Witch. I don't know. But um, you, I, you'd, you'll like that, I think. It's just, it feels so authentic. And the acting is amazing. Of course. And, and really what the filmmakers and, and the actors, maybe even more than the filmmakers, went through to make this. You have to admire it, even if you don't like it. And obviously both of us like it. So Yeah. I mean, it's just like, yeah, it's, it's I think they nail it. I also, like, I've seen a lot of found footage movies. And there's a lot of really good ones. And there's obviously a lot of really bad ones. But, like, this one always gets... I guess credited for starting the genre and it and it, sure. it didn't really but it's funny it didn't even really launch the movement if you will because like no one on earth has ever said paranormal activity is the first found footage movie right. but that's really what launched the found footage craze yeah it's just it's two different kinds because like i think for example like a movie like bad ben was probably more inspired by paranormal activity because oh, sure. it's you know home and it's it's set in a security home yeah, cameras security cameras and stuff. But I think if you're going out in the woods and you're or you're filming a camcorder, Blair Witch like definitely set the tone for a lot of those movies. I've, I'm like I've said, I've seen a million found footage movies. That's definitely the best one. And that even that aside of it just being my favorite, it's also the only one where the acting is believable. Yes, from the start I, to I the end. I mean, there's plenty where there's believable acting, but all the way th- there's always something. You know, Blair Witch. I mean, I know it's a movie. But I watched this with my mother the other night, and she was very confused. I had to explain that it wasn't right. a real thing. And then the, then the explanation contained layers because I had to explain, no, 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 none of it was a real thing. Like, the, the, even the documentary was, like, right. everything was fake. And it just, but it easily convinces you that it's not. And then there are found footage movies like Cloverfield. Yeah, that's Cloverfield's <laughs> a good example. I like that movie. But I love that That's movie. a good example of found footage is just a style. Right. We're, we're just giving you a different point of view of, of this kind of story because we've all seen Godzilla or whatever, and we're just going to present that in a found footage style. And, it's, and like, yeah. it's interesting for what it is, you know? Right, and like to be able to present something in like an amateurish, like just a, a human, normal person's point of view, not a filmmaker's. And like that mm-hmm. alone is what's scary about found footage to people. 
and especially in a movie like Blair Witch where there are no effects or anything. So it feels like you're just, you're like, it feels like it's real, even if it's not. And even if you know it's not. Yeah, so this is amazing. And all of that having been said, I think Face Off is the better movie. I enjoy wow. it more. I, I just find it more entertaining. It's, it's more it's entertaining. More watchable. <laughs> but, but, okay, but I got to ask you, which of these two movies do you prefer? Reminder that Nicolas Cage does not grind on the ass of a young choir singer in Blair Witch Project. That's true, but I did already say that Blair Witch Project is my favorite movie, so sure, it probably makes sense for me to say Blair Witch Project. Yeah. Face-Off's perfect movie. They're both perfect. I think they're both great. I was, uh-huh. This was a slam dunk of a, of a double feed. I mean, oh, they, yeah, don't, absolutely. they don't go together or anything, but... No, well, we'll get to that, but I will say, this season... It has kind of sucked for us. I mean, listen, it, we've done some good movies, but we haven't done the amazing, like, oh, my God, like, we did King Kong in season two and right. and Halloween in season two and, and um, Nightmare on Elm Street and Shocker in season one. We haven't had, like, those kind of, like, oh, my God, I just love this movie. These two movies, oh, my God, I I miss doing movies like this. This is probably... Two of the top three or four movies we've done in the season so far, and this is like the tenth or eleventh episode, so twenty, twenty-two movies, and this is the top. Yeah, I mean five percent of that, you know. So yeah, like, absolutely slam dunk. I agree. I mean, these are like honestly two of my favorite movies. Like you, it, it was like you picked this for me. Well, I didn't, but thank you. Well, but here's the question though: How does it work as a double feature? I have an answer that may shock you. Well, I have an answer a definitive one because i did watch it as a double feature today okay all right all right but i watched blair witch first and then i watched face off so maybe okay. maybe the other way around would be better but it yeah i mean it it <laughs> i mean it didn't make sense as a double feature but i sure. they were both i mean because like i said i think blair witch is fun i mean it's not fun in a traditional sense but it's no. fun for me to watch because i just like i like it. i know all the lines and i just enjoy it i've seen it many times so they it was just fun to watch both and it didn't feel like they, they both flew by, even though Face Off is kind of long. Mm-hmm. Um, they both just flew yeah. by. So, yeah, I mean, Face Off you know. does not feel long, even though it is long. Right. Yeah, that's true. But, like, to, in my mind, they both felt, like, about the same length, even though Blair Witch is short for a feature length. Well, that, that's that's a weird thing. And I don't mean this in a bad way. Blair Witch feels longer than it is. It, and in I think a way, it's just because you see the actors or the characters suffer. Yeah, you get enveloped. You feel like you're watching it, yeah. them for hours. Right. But yeah, I mean, I think it worked in the sense that I was entertained and I enjoyed myself the whole way through. Sure. But these movies, to me, don't have any qualities that uh, no make flow. them work together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, well, I enjoyed myself. I think this has the potential of a really off-the-wall awesome double feature. However, I would reverse the order, which you apparently did. Mm. The reason I would do that is I always say... If a movie's going to be out there and weird, it's got to be the second movie because that's that's the one late at night. It's got to keep your attention. Face Off does that in spades. I agree with that. It's the it's the longer movie. I usually like the shorter movie being second, but Face Off because it's so out there, it's so over the top. The acting, the action, and then I think that really the ultimately the what makes them kind of work together for me is the minimalism versus the maximalism. Like yes, they're, they're, I agree. they're like complete polar opposites. But I think watching the two together, that's kind of interesting. You you see, these are both kind of blockbuster films made around the same time. 
And right. one of them is dirt cheap, and you know you're you're watching it. You almost feel like you're involved in the filmmaking process because you kind of you you know what you're talking like. We talked a lot about like how they did certain things, and Face Off. You're just along for the ride. You're letting John Woo, Nicolas Cage, and right. John Travolta just take you on this fantasy. And also, and, like. Yeah. In Blair Witch, there is this mythology and all that, but the story that the movie is telling is incredibly simple. It's basically yes. just people getting lost in the woods. The story that Face Off is telling is incredibly complicated. Almost needlessly so, Needlessly yes. complicated. Yeah. And, uh, that's Yeah, so th- there's definitely a, a yin and yang to it, for sure. All right, well, Feck, thank you for joining me. Of course listeners thank you for joining me and this is what we're going to be doing next week we've got jim returning and we will be doing the curse of the mummy's tomb from hammer films and puppet master 2 from charles band perhaps a five-star film another another five-star effort from him ladies and gentlemen we will see you next time